What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 37. Uh, here with my resident homies as usual, Casey, Joseph, and Joel. I'm Anthony. Um, just want to say thanks to all the uh, subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe and uh, hit all those fucking buttons that we love you guys hitting. Uh, CaliDeath.com should be having some stuff up pretty soon here. Joseph's been working on that. Um, yeah. Today, we have a very, very special guest, one I was super excited about when, when he agreed to come on. Uh, we got Dennis from the legendary Spawn of Possession, people. What's going on, Dennis? What's up? <laughs> oh, dude. Awesome. It, we, we've been waiting for this one for a while. Like, this is definitely one of those uh, core, even though it's Cali Death, like, Spawn of Possession for us when we were coming up, dude, was like basically one of the main influences for so many of us dude like it was spawn of possession necrophagist and their unique suffocation you know yeah Yeah, and it was it was one of those bands that i came across you know in that fucking compilation that sod put out where i just got the un the upload of fucking all these unique leader bands at once and i think it was church of deviance uh, I think it might have been an alter, alternate take from the one that actually came out on Cabinet. But either way, dude, I was fucking hooked right away, dude. So <laughs> thank awesome. you so much for coming on, dude. We, I can't wait to get into the history of you and the band and all that stuff. So thank you very much <laughs> for giving us your time. What time is it over there right now? Uh, it's uh, nine o'clock in the evening. Okay. Yeah, dude. Thank yeah. you so much. I know it's Sunday. Meeting, right? Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is this is awesome. Yeah, definitely. definitely Pre pod, you were saying this is your first internet uh, interview in like ten years, dude. That's fucking killer to bring you out for it. Yeah, I did a bunch uh, when we released in Curso, and that was about it, you know. And then we were, um, yeah, that was about it. You know, did a bunch on the tour. Actually, we did one tour. So yeah, did you hit a? Was it a European tour? Yeah, we did. Uh, it was it was like thirty shows. With uh, we, it was Obscura headlining, and we were direct support. And then there was uh, Gorod from France and Exivius. It was a crazy awesome. package. It was really good. It was it was a really good tour, you know. And we had great response. We packed everything, sold out like Paris and London and all those places. That was a new thing, you know. Nice. So yeah, it was good. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I would say Joel probably was the the biggest fan when we were back. Young. Yeah, we uh, I, I, I felt we found you basically. We used to just go to record stores and stuff, and um, basically just randomly pick. You know, if it had unique leader on the back, we would just grab it. And uh, we uh, we were kind of getting into the more you know technical stuff. <clears throat> and um, I remember Carrie and I threw it on on the way back when we back to the house. And uh, we were just in silence. We were like, <laughs> we were like, what the hell? Because it literally had just come out. Uh, Cabinet had just come out. And um, I'm just literally, we were, we were just completely quiet. And I just got out of the car and went to my house. And then I like called him later. Like we didn't, didn't even say bye. I don't even, we just like, walked out like all like perplexed. <laughs> and, and I was like, and I called him like two days later. I'm like, hey, so that album we put on, um, what, it, what was that? What was that was insane. Like I need to copy that immediately because that's how we had to do it. There was only one copy at the local record store. So, uh, yeah, from then it was just all about uh, or ordered your sweatshirt that actually showed up in the mail the day of the Palo Alto show. So it showed up right before the show started. And like I had it on. It was like my most prized possession. And, and Casey was, <laughs> was 
making fun of me this morning because I would just wear it everywhere. It was like and all the oh, first yeah. odious mortem band photos i had that on i always yeah, like yeah, yeah. i was like trying to like always like you guys ever heard of spawn obsession no well, let me show you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah i thought there it is right there look at that <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah oh, i wore that thing everywhere man that was uh it was i lost it one day at a party and it was like heartbreaking but uh i got another that's one heart, that's actually a heartbreaking thing for a lot of my hoodies and shirts dude you know <laughs> You there's see a cynic, of them and you're like oh what i had a dope yeah. fucking cynic zip up hoodie when vincent was in college i let him fucking borrow it and bye bye <laughs> yeah bye bye yeah. never again yeah. definitely definitely but yeah man i've been a humongous fan you're um i just made a post the other day that i think cabinet's the my favorite death metal album of all time i think still this oh, yeah. day um man that, that that means a lot dude it's that's uh that's really humbling and, and really heartwarming i really appreciate what you're saying that that's amazing amazing thank you so much of course cool. man no thank you man thank you so much i mean that that really you know i listened to I, I think i had that in my cd player in my car it's definitely the longest i've ever kept anything in my car it was about seven months it was just <laughs> the, only that when i would get in my car it was a spawn like <laughs> so i have I've like i could air drum the whole thing like i know every change of every part of that album i'm like totally totally obsessed and still to this day i like well you know take big breaks from listening to death metal and stuff like that and i'll go back and jump right back into spawn and i'm just like geez like still to this day i mean that's almost what are you looking at like almost 20 years old like and that that's like what, 18 years old something like that or no mm -hmm. what is it 16 yeah. 17 2003 right yeah so, yeah so 18 years yeah. old i mean that's it's still to me is i mean the best tech death album you know it still like holds the water of the bands today you know a lot of people i mean that i know like faceless and stuff like that they were when i actually um i think i might have shown that to mike keen first and he was like what the and that helped him he's basically said it was his biggest influence for writing um uh, planetary duality but yeah wow. he was he was i mean when people get on that spawn wagon it just kind of takes over man <laughs> yeah definitely oh, that's dude. awesome yeah yeah so dennis how we usually do this is uh I, I say those same words every fucking time but this we just fucking take you back to the beginning dude take us back to your beginning and the bands begin you know whatever you were doing before spawn became a thing we always want to hear about that stuff like what you what got you into drums was it drums first was it something else first yeah. you want to know all that okay cool so uh, uh I, I suspected you you guys would ask so i thought about i had to think about it and the reality is that i i can as far back as i can remember i've been listening to like heavy metal because my my parents got cable when i was very young and there were two music channels so i grew up on all those 80s videos with all the hair and all this shit mm -hmm. um but there was also metal and they were, you know, the new wave sort of, of, of British heavy metal, all that stuff. And also, like, I remember seeing uh, Looks That Kill for the first time, you know, with Motley Crue looking like uh, four women fighting other women, you know. <laughs> and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen, or Twisted Sister, Wasp, and all these bands. So all that stuff, just I just carried that stuff with me. Had, you know, you had tapes, you know, mixtapes and all that stuff. And then when I was about 12... 13 maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure. Someone at school introduced me to Master of Puppets. So that was the next like, whoa, another level, another whole thing. And this, I don't know when this was in 89, 90 maybe. 
somewhere around there. And of course I got the whole Metallica catalog up to that point, got into that. And also Sepultura, Beneath Remains, Schizophrenia, I was listening to those uh, records a lot. And then of course Arise, which, and when I got the Arise, that was right around the time when I started uh, fiddling around with drums. And that album, Igor some credit because that album to me is so tasteful and certainly colorful in the drumming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's been getting the credit he deserves because it, it's so he's, he, the way he plays the drums along the guitars is really was super inspirational to me. And I used that actually in on the cabinet record. If you listen carefully, if you maybe it's just me being very nerdy about it, but it's there. It's just that way of thinking um, mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. riffs because he sort of created, uh, he, he went with the riff, but he sort of uh, did something on his own. It's hard to explain, but um, around that time was like those thrash kind of stuff, Slayer came in and so on. And then uh, uh, a friend of mine had again, like a mixtape and he played me, he would, it was all this noise, basically. I had no idea what this was. This is 91, maybe. And then I heard a part that just fucking rattled me. And that was a part from Chapel of Ghouls with Morbid Angel. And it was the choir part. I'm sure you know what, what I mean. Hmm. Uh, in the sort of the break thing in the middle where the choir kind of thing. Yeah. And I was, I just got hooked on that. I thought it was the coolest thing. I didn't get very, I didn't get blast beats. I didn't understand what that was. Um, and then on the same tape, he had one song with Bolt Thrower. It was kind of an Eric, you know, that label, those mm-hmm. kind of bands, but they were happening because they were just exploding at this time. It was, yeah. they were all going big, right? And then there was, um, there was a song by Carcass from the Necroticism album a song called um, Corporal Jigsaw Quandary with a very, very uh, signature-based opening with the drums. And I totally got hooked on that. I need to learn that part. And uh, around that time, so now I'm into that stuff. And it, this is like around this time now, uh, I'm, I'm 14 and I'm in school and I see this other dude with long hair. And he's got a D-side shirt on. And I got the Terrorizer long sleeve with the fucking logos on the arm, you know? Nice, dude. And it's like, hey, what's up? You want to take a smoke? And it was Jonas Bruceling. And but... from that on, like, we started talking bands and records and checking thanks lists and, you know, all that stuff. And really got into it. You know, he, he was very good at... We had more friends also that and everyone was kind of good at going to this record store. Um, like you said about... Um, um cabinet you know you would go to records to flip through the and if it was a cover by like dan seagrave or necrolord or one of these old school artists you kind of knew it okay this is cool then you if you want to be sure you check the thanks list and if they were thanking a bunch of other bands you knew it was like okay i'm gonna buy this and usually it was uh you know sometimes it was kind of nah, but most of the time you found something really cool sometimes you really found gold that way so that was when I, when that was me and Jonas hooking up. And then, so I was playing drums and I used to play drums with uh, a friend of his. So he would come to, he didn't play guitar at this time. No so shit. we would play. Just a fan. 
Yeah, this dude, his friend, this is kind of funny, his friend was more into, he wanted to be a rock star. So he was into like Guns N' Roses and, you know, hair ballads and shit like that. So we kind of had a deal that I would drum on that, sh- all that stuff. He'd, he, if he would play some heavier stuff that I could, you know, have fun with, you know, Sepultura and whatever, Metallica. So we would play for a while. And then that kind of went away. And I hadn't spoken to Jonas for a while. And then a, a mutual friend called me one day and said, hey, uh, Jonas has, has started playing guitar and we're going to start a band. Do you want to be the drummer? It was like that. As a, uh, can he play? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, well, because he knew what I wanted to play. Like, I want to play that extreme stuff. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah. And we actually hooked up. We wrote a song together that first night. So it was me and Jones and a bunch of other dudes that, you know, went off, you know, you know, uh, after a while. So um, that's really how it started. And then this was like in 90 something, 93. Maybe. So was that out of high school after that time? Yeah, it was around that time leaving high school. High so school. Jonas had then, shortly picked up a guitar and then, you know, a few years later. Dude, he's fucking... dude, as far as I remember, he found a guitar in his dad's garage. And just that was it. Like, oh, here's a good, what, what if I do this? Boom, boom. And he started playing. It was like so random as far as I, I maybe he was, he, maybe he saw us play and thought, man, that would be cool to play. I don't yeah. know. But he actually found this, uh, this like jazz guitar and he carried it around in like a grocery bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was kind of funny. And, uh, <laughs> it didn't sound too good or anything, but you could totally see we used to practice, say, once a week and you could totally see that he was. I mean, he, he was playing at home for real. So every time he came, he had like a new idea, a new riff or something. So this was in the very early stages of what was going to become Spawn years later. Because we, we weren't sure, I should add this, that we, we didn't really know. We, didn't re- we listened to these bands, but we didn't really know like how it's done. Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of figuring out blast beats and stuff. But there was stuff happening on the guitars uh, in, in like extreme death metal that was like, what exactly are they doing? And then we went to see uh, Morbid Angel. I believe it was in 1993. And they were headlining for their Covenant album. And Grave and Dismember were openers. And that night, David Vincent couldn't sing. He had some infection. So he would just, uh, it would be an instrumental show. No shit. So Jonas was standing looking at Trey and I was looking at Pete. It was a, it was a clinic. Yeah. Like, this is how it's done boys. And mm-hmm. I just remember we were changed going out, out that club. We just, okay, 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 here we go. Like the way they wish. And of course it was Eric Root on the show as well. And he's really sick guitar player. They oh, just shredded. Yeah. It was. It was just. I just remember that one of the most amazing experiences, like an eye opener, that we got to see how they make this noise. What are they doing with their hands? So after that, we stepped everything up. It's like, okay, we gotta. We have to practice. That was basically the, the feeling we left with. You know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. So like, when does uh, when does it become okay? Now we're gonna start actually writing songs. Okay, like, so- from that point forward. Mm, mm -mm. you guys already had stuff 
Well, yeah, we started writing and we've always been sensitive to that. I mean, we've always uh, uh, not just thrown shit together randomly or anything. We've always been very sort of surgical with it and, and it has to work. It has to sort of create some vibe or atmosphere or something. Um, but then we we sort of played on and we we started the band we got together at the time uh, this is like 96, maybe 95, 96. Um, it was me and Jonas and a couple of other guys. And we actually released the demo. But this, the thing was that we, at the time, excuse me, we, we were more focused on the Swedish sound. And when mm. I say Swedish, it was sort of a mix between, you know, dissection, Eucharist, um, Edge of Sanity, maybe maybe uh you know little hints of this and that way melodic but different types of melodies the more swedish if you could say that mm -hmm. if that makes sense you know mm -hmm. but i kept yeah. the drums very not not the usual swedish drum but it was more like uh blast and double bass and stuff like that so i thought we had something going like something unique and again like the stuff that jonas wrote the, the melodies were really good like really solid good melodies with harmonies and all that stuff but we made the demo and we made it at, at my house and it was so shitty that it got like totally slaughtered and it kind of made the it deflated us it was like oh uh, not that we care about critics, but it just became, mm -hmm. uh, fuck this. But in the back of my mind and Jonah's mind, we had always been talking about doing something the more American style. And we'd actually, I think we had written a little bit on the side. Like, if let's do this some other time. We will do it someday. And when Hedion, as the band was called, when that sort of went away, it was just like dropped. It was a weird thing. We didn't communicate. We didn't, it was just a strange time. Mm -hmm. um, we just called each other. It was like, hey, let's do let's do this Spawn. And Jonas, we called it Spawn Obsession very early. It was Jonas who, who coined that. And right about that time, there had been a rumor about um, an old childhood friend of mine, actually, I hadn't seen in years and people were saying he's he's really good at guitar he plays a lot of solos and stuff and this was Jonas Carlson who played the uh, the lead guitar on Cabinet and, and Octangulate and I was like really and then you know how it is like locally you hear someone who, who doesn't play an instrument say, oh he's so good and you check him out it's like no he sucks <laughs> so i met him and we sort of had a little jam and i could totally see like man this guy could play like and not only that but he was he was so hungry i mean ridiculous yeah. he, he was just playing all the time and then i remember when he got his seven string uh he wanted a seven string because he was a big steve by fan and trey fan and stuff like that and boy he was just like shredding like sweeps and just all day like 10 hours like going nuts and uh, so we asked him, like, hey, do you want to want to be part of this thing? And he was like, yeah. It was like he, he – I remember the first time we played, I think we were playing Dirty Priest at the time, and he basically learned Dirty Priest on the first rehearsal, just standing there learning it. He, he was quite special. <laughs> so we were like, totally yeah, let's did. keep him. <laughs> and, he, and he's a cool dude, you know, so. 
so how long yeah yeah. so how long was it until you guys actually did that first the forbidden demo yeah which which, by the way i have a a physical copy of like it was one of those audible yes when i found it in amoeba in San, san francisco dude i was like it was like six bucks used, dude. And I'm like, nobody knows how fucking big <laughs> of a gem this is, dude. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's awesome. Uh, well, what happened there? Um, uh, we, we, because up to this point, we more or less just practiced and wrote and practiced. And it was like not thinking really about, are we going to take the band to the next level? So we started talking about that and, um, yeah, let's do a, let's record something. And that was, I, maybe I should mention that too, because the, the studios, there were uh, two or three studios in Sweden that by this time had recorded all the prolific sort of bands. And, you know, there was uh, Abyss Studio and uh, I think Fredman was also running pretty hard and uh, Sunlight was there and, but uh, so we weren't sure where to go with this. And then it turns out that Carlson, the guitar player, he had uh, been an intern at a local studio, well, about an hour away. We're like, well, what's that? Like, no one's heard of this studio. And he was like, yeah, but it's a good studio, dude, and blah, blah, blah. So we made a deal and went down there. And the guy who engineered us turned out that he was a metal head. And he got into Spawn. He was like, this. I've never... I don't understand really what you're doing, but he really tried and he got into it. And he was also a big part on um, creating the spot obsession sound. And he's been with us on every, every recording really. No shit. That's, oh, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. So that was that. Like we made the demo. Yeah. Wasn't there like a, it was like, was it flat pig studios or something, something like that? Or I remember like I emailed someone cause I was at this point um, when I found out cabinet and was listening, listening to it all the time. I was really intrigued with the guitar tone because the guitar tone yeah. really didn't have much. It didn't have much uh, distortion on it. It was like, and that's that's more. You see that more um, common nowadays. You see a lot of bands doing that more, but it really was still heavy. But and you because of not having that much distortion, you could hear all the riffs. You can hear everything yeah. like come through like like super clear. And so I remember I I, th- I emailed something Pig Studios or something something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, that's I emailed true. him and was like. I was like, what did you do for the guitar? Well, when you like gave me all the tips and stuff like that, it was super helpful and nice and stuff. But that, um, that's still, I mean, to this day, as its own signature sound, staying aggressive sounding, but not having too much gain on there. You know, it's, it's yeah. still that was a the kind of signature spawn guitar sound. You know, where everything comes through clear. It's heavy, but it's not super overly distorted. No, and I, I you're very right, and and. What happened was that we were, we had done the demos. We did two demos, right? And uh, at the time, uh, like the first demo was made with a small little uh, transistor Marshall amp, like a small 60 watts or something. And I forget what we used on uh, the second demo. So when the album came around, the guy in the studio said, listen, you, you got to figure out a guitar sound. And I asked asked the guys like what type type of sound, and it was again like one of those things, you know, you know what you don't want, and it's hard to like put into words, and you know, it's like I don't know this, blah blah blah. So I emailed or I called Rob down in Flatpeg because I known him before. That's that's another studio down in in Malmo, and uh, 
we had been friends for years. And so I, I, and he was a Spawn fan. So I asked him like, hey, we're going to do the first album now. And we're not sure about the sound. And he said immediately, I remember, I called him because he said, what you guys want is uh, Triaxis, Mesa Triaxis. Mm-hmm. I never heard of it. We didn't know what that was. And he said, I've got one and I know what kind of tone you're looking for. Let me set it, set it, set it up for you. And I'll, I'll come up to this. So we drove up to the studio and, uh, and, and left it there. And I was like, okay. And we plugged in and it was, it was right there. It was like, oh yeah, that was it. He just, he just knew I was, to this day, I was, I'm still very impressed by, because he knew our, our music, his, our style. And I told him we, we sort of need the notes to, like you said, shine through. It has to be able, you know, listenable. And he knew, he just like, that's the one you need, guys. And that was the one. I think they maybe tweaked it a little bit in the studio afterwards, but that was Rob who, who got that. Rob, first. that's right. Yeah, so... um. Another question I had, I didn't look into this at all, but I know you did vocals on the first two albums or the fr- or all of them, or what did you do vocals on? All of them. All of them. So did you, when you guys were initially jamming, did you, you guys just didn't have a singer or you're like, I'm just going to record it like this and we'll find someone live or what was the plan going into that? There was no plan because that was, for, that was even back in the demo. And when we were recording, I think it was like a week before we went into the studio. We stopped and I said, "Man, we don't have a we don't have a singer." And were, oh yeah, that's right. We're, I mean, we're not <laughs> instrumental. I mean, really, we were just silly like that. So, so then Jonah said, because I had done a demo where I'd done some vocals on, and Jonas had heard that and he said, "I like your vocals. You can do the vocals. It's just a demo. We'll figure it out later, man. We'll get someone." Blah blah blah. So I wrote uh, the yeah, I did the lyrics and the patterns, and I remember clearly that. Before I went into the booth, Jonah said to me, I have no idea how you're going to do these vocals on these riffs, on these parts. I had, like, he, he was so funny. You run it by him. You, just I, had, you had it mapped out, but he never heard it. Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody. And then I just remember standing in there and doing it. And I was just like, man, I hope, I hope they like it. And then I got out and he just smiled. I just remember there was, uh, there was a part in uh, Dirty Priest, I think. And he said, like, Man, that was awesome. I, di- I didn't expect that at all. Like, wow. So, and that was, of course, a boost. So, mm-hmm. when we did, when we continue, it's like, I'll do the books on this one too. Like, that that works. And and then that sort of turned around where Jonas would say, You are doing the vocals. Like, we're not getting a vocalist to do it. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to do it instead. So, that was kind of, and it, it works very kinda, well with your music, dude. Yeah. That yeah. Thanks. It works very well. <laughs> It, it also, it, I also think that uh, it, it not it doesn't have anything to do with the voice, but um, and like anybody who plays uh, music and everything, everybody has their own style. But um, I prefer usually when the vocals are more rhythmically based and not so melody based. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. like sometimes you'll hear guitar players sing along a melody. It, when it's like uh, when they're growling, and I just I I don't know it doesn't it's uh, the vocal should should sort of have their own little life, but it should you know intersect and connect with the rest of the song or something. So it, yeah, it worked out pretty good. You know, I, I, my reference were the drums and and it kind of you know it, it had a good marriage with the guitars. You know. 
Yeah, I was going to say too, like your unique vocal style, like is also as unique as the guitar tone and just everything about it, which makes it so sick also. And we've already interviewed like a, I mean, a few bands that have like referenced you as influences to their vocal styles, you know, with all of that, like the faster stuff, right? And just super rhythmic and tight. Let me tell you about that fast stuff. This is kind of funny. I, 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 I reflected on this years later because when we did the first demo, I had done the vocals and I had written it the way I thought it should be done. So when we go in and I do some, uh, some, I forget what part, but there's the first part that came out that was a fast part. Um, they looked at me and said, like, you know, like, what's this? And I was like, yeah, that's the way it's got to be. But that that's impossible. It's like too fast. And it, I never um, <laughs> I never reflected on that when I was doing it, because in my mind, this is the way it should be done. You know, as a drummer, you know, you, you know, it's like this, I want this part. And then you work on that part until you get it, because that's the way it should be with the music, whatever. And it was the same thing with the vocals. The problem came, of course, when you're like going to dub it and you're going to do the screamer and stuff. And we didn't have a click track. So it was basically just going one take and just like nailing it. And of course, the producer coming from, uh, you know, more you know, like working with famous Swedish artists and stuff like that. He was like, no, 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 no. It has to be locked in. You, I have to, I want to hear every single syllable and blah, 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 you know. So it was pretty tough doing that stuff. And I didn't think about it like that. And then people reacted to it and said, man, that's fast. But I, in the beginning, I never really thought about it in that way. It becomes, I, I realized that when people start telling me it was fast, of course it was hard, but you know, that it, to this day, I think, yeah, it should be fast on those things. And uh, there were a few that did it, like Glenn Benton did it on a few times on, on the first Deicide album. And, you know, some people went pretty nuts with it. Uh, but yeah, but thanks for the compliment. I mean, it's definitely yeah. become more prevalent now. Like you hear a lot of the vocalists nowadays, they're trying to, you know, go faster and faster and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it yeah, paved the way for a lot of that. I mean, a lot of them, I think, like, what's what's that one? There's, like, a rapper that's really fast. What's his name? Tech Nine or something? A lot yeah. of, like, the kids, the, the metal, yeah, like, uh, the newer metal kids and stuff are, uh, like, kind of do that kind of, like, Tech Nine style mixed with, like, Spawn. It's, like, it's one of the first, like, you know, bands I could think of with those super ridiculously lightning fast vocals, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely. That's important to, to mention that it was never, there was never any prestige in it. It was always accordingly to the music. That was the mm-hmm. whole key that mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't overshine anything. It should be, you know, locked in and it just feels right for the song. That, of course, became uh, slightly problematic when we did in Curse, and we'll get to that. But some of those, uh, some of that vocal stuff was. Uh, you know really uh really hard to perform like and you did a lot of that stuff in um visceral, visceral bleeding. bleeding right yeah. visceral bleeding was the other band so when did visceral oh, yeah. bleeding come into was that your project or how did that what what's, no. tell me about visceral bleeding well what happened there was uh they were another local band uh parallel to us and uh i sort of knew the uh, drummer mm-hmm. um yeah, it makes sense that you bring it up, actually, now when I think about it, um, because he, he he's my second cousin. 
and uh, they were playing and we were playing. And um, I think they, what happened was basically they didn't have a vocalist. So I said, well, I can do some vocals and we needed a bass player. And it turns out that Nick had played bass in some punk band or something. So why don't you just come in? And he had that big, Alex Webster hairdo and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, you're perfect. <laughs> uh, and he, <laughs> yeah. he could, and yeah, and he spent time with the bass and practiced and all that stuff. So, and it be, kind of became that visual bleeding would sort of, uh, even though the first visual bleeding, I believe it came out before Cabinet came out. Yeah, uh, that was an earlier one. Yeah. Yeah, but the Spawn demo uh, was, I think that sort of they they. Uh, they, they saw that what we were, were doing was sort of working, was a working formula. So they sort of, and I was in the band, so it was like really no problem to set up with uh, mm -hmm. the studio and, the, and, and labels and stuff like that. It, it sort of worked out, but. but uh, That, that but was I a killer mean, fucking record too, dude. The yeah. like cabinet and that together, it was like, whoa, what the fuck are these guys doing over there? And we're just like fucking Sweden, man. Jesus, calm, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I think you even like were in that interview that we did. I think that's what you were. That was your joke. It's like, yeah, our, yeah. You know, all yeah, our influence was... came from Sweden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we we're what talking about Spawn. Well, we did a so we did Maryland Death Fest a while ago, and they did a backstage interview. And Joel and I are fucking hammered, dude. So it's like <laughs> it's really hard to actually understand what we're trying to say. But he did reference like all, all we just hired a bunch of Swedes, Sweden's people, Swedish people to to do our album. But really, what he was saying is like that was my influence dude you know like yeah, spawn of yeah. possession is the reason why we're fucking one of the main reasons why i'm doing this shit oh cool that's how we felt then dude yeah and yeah. and trying to do those fast vocals too i think i got a little bit uh, here and there in cryptic but dude i was just listening to you say it's like writing before you actually like know it's possible that's i've run into that many times on this there was a severed part that like after i wrote it and performed or recorded it then i'm like oh shit this is going to be hard live and then doing that song i have always dread that song's coming because there's going to be this one part where i just non-stop i'm doing vocals for a certain amount of time i don't know yeah. where i'm gonna fucking breathe <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah but that's that's a that's a good point because in the studio i always have that's kind of you know sort of a handicap because i was playing the drums so i always felt you know well I'm going to do the drums on stage. I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> then it was like, it was fast stuff. It was so fast that at times, you know, if I would stumble on words and stuff, like, like you can do a punch in with the drums or the guitars and stuff, but man, we tried punching in, in the middle of a sentence and it just didn't work. You yeah. Could totally. It, it was something in it because it's so dynamic and, and, you mm -hmm. know, um, so, so it was basically, no, dude, you have to nail it. It was that attitude, like, you have to fucking nail this. So that was... It's much more gratifying cool. when you actually do nail it, too, though, you know? Yeah, but, but and again, it's funny, too, because uh, I never, I didn't realize that you can, you, the way you use words, if you, that how you use vowels and, and, and uh, syllables and stuff, some are easier, when you connect some that sort of flow better and some are way harder. But then I realized, you know, it was almost like the way the music is. It's like, no, wait a minute. I'm not going to compromise the lyrics because I'm lazy. 
Like I'm going to write it the way it should be written. You know, I mm-hmm. fucking told myself that. And then of course, like, especially on uh, the last album, I did all the, I, you know, where uh, the, the vocal is dubbed with the screaming, the screamer like over the growl. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a lot of that in there, in there. And it was just because it has to be there because it's going to sort of elevate the brutality or whatever you, you know, you just feel it. It's like, okay, here's the part, here's the part. But then when you're in the studio and we, I think we did it uh, twice. So you get a, I think we did left, right with that. And that's just and nailing it and getting it tied on. Like you said, that, that stuff is grueling. Mm-hmm. It's really. It's a lot easier on paper. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so go ahead. Oh yeah. Um, so you mentioned it was Jonas that came up with the name of the band Spawn of Possession, but you were writing the lyrics. So were you inspired by the same sort of stuff as him, like the yeah. the possession kind of concept oh, yeah. and all that? Well, that was the thing, like uh, the name Spawn of Possession, because Jonas had his his dad had like a home studio that he weren't allowed to touch. But he did anyway, I guess. And he sort of made these crappy demos that was super funny. They were really disturbing. It was like if David Lynch would make like a, an album that reflected his films or something. They were really disturbing. And I think he called one of those projects, he called Spawn of Possession, I think. I think that's where we got it. And I said, that's a great name. Let's just that's say, what's the name? Like, who knows? You know, it was basically that. And then... Um, like when we met and we sort of reconnected on music, but also on movies, because he had like a huge um, horror film collection. He had all these VHS tapes, like every single different versions, different cuts, blah, blah, blah. And I would borrow a bunch from him. And he had like some really disturbing fucking, some, I don't didn't even want to watch, but he watched them all. He knew exactly, like he had that catalog in his head. So we would talk about it. And one thing we connected on was, like you said, the whole, with you know the exorcist being the sort of you know the total the totality of it all but mm-hmm. you know the amityville murders and stuff like that and haunted stuff and possession and so we connected on that and we talked a lot i just remember we would talk about you know watching documentaries and you know um reading articles and stuff so it was basically like let's so a couple of lyrics came up and then i i just remember when i said what if what if we do the whole album about that it's like yeah cool because again, you know, I'm sure you guys know it's like it's not that easy to come up with just lyrics uh, on the spot. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard, you know. If you want, you want them to mean something and blah blah blah. All exactly. these things, you, know? you want them to be exciting and you want to have some sort of connection with them. But certainly, uh, at that time, we were we were kind of steeped into that world, you know, occult and crowley and all that stuff. Not that we were, uh, you know. Uh, we weren't like practicing magician. No, 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 no you're no, just, no. yeah, it's fun stuff, dude. It's all yeah, fun really stuff. fun stuff. So it was basically that, that, that uh, made, made a theme, you know, was yeah, there one point I remember, uh, so you had a, the live vocalist that had like dreadlocks when I saw you in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, was there a point? So was everyone at that time in the band named Jonas, except you, <laughs> cause Nick was Jonas, right? Wasn't, isn't no, that Nick? Nick is, Nick is Nick. Oh, I thought it said okay, okay. I no. thought it was like Nick, but he was Jonas, but he went by Nick or something like that. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, I was gonna no, be like no, Dennis no. and the Jonases. Yeah. 
his name was Jodas too. So we all called each other. But everyone went with their went by their last name. Oh, okay. Um, but, but what happened there was when we recorded in the studio. Uh, the studio was also like a production company and, and a record company, and they had found this sort of, uh, I guess you could say, like thrash metal, thrash death band, along the lines of a little bit of Pantera, a little uh, at the gates kind of thing. Young, young guys, and the vocalist there was Jonas, and I spoke to him a few times. We met in the studio. They were done working on something, and and cool guy it was basically that. And then when we signed with unique leader and no it was actually yeah before that we had another dude step in that we actually offered the spot in spawn and he said no he went he was going to the university so it's like that so when the tour came up <laughs> i basically just called jonas out of the blue and said hey man do you want to travel europe for a month like on a van tour and he it's I, I will be eternally thankful because he's that type of person he was like yeah he didn't ask him. He was like, yeah, well, I'll be there. That's cool. And he came with his little, you know, knapsack, basically. Like, yeah, let's go. He, he's like... He still a, had the grocery bag. Is yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, he's, he's that type of person. He just drops everything. Just, yeah, I want to go on tour. Fuck it. He's that kind of guy. And that's exactly what you need to be if you're going to go tour for months without end, you know? So that was perfect. And he's, he's a good frontman, too. And he enjoyed it. And he, he learned the stuff, so... So what was that yeah. first tour? What was the lineup for that tour? Oh, oh man, that was um, Vile was headlining, and then there was um, Disavowed was direct support, and then there was uh, there was actually uh, two bands, but they they did half the tour each because they had some of the same members in them, and the first leg was uh, a band called Mangled. And the other part was in Yume, more grindcore kind of. Yeah, we, I remember both of the bands. Uh, yeah, but uh, and that was fucking great experience. That was super fun, like really cool. All those guys in in uh, in Vile. I remember the vocalist. Fuck, was his name Juan? Juan. Yeah. Oh yeah, he lives around yeah. here. <laughs> like funny, he was kind of strange dude. Like in. And then, um, and then, of course, the disavow guys. Like, I don't know if you guys have met though, met them. I don't mm -mm. think so. Oh man, the the coolest people people on the planet. They really took us under their wing because they had done. I think they'd done the bloodletting at this point, and they were just like super cool to us and helped us out. And because you know we'd done, I think we'd done like three shows, and then we went on tour, like nothing locally, nothing. We had basically zero stage experience. And those guys were really helpful. I remember their old drummer, Robbie, he helped me every night with the drums, set it up with the cymbals, you know, because you're under pressure, man. It's like you got to play and perform and all that. But they were just really, really cool cats. Just, and it was a fun, good experience to do that, even though there was the bands and stuff. But it, it worked out very good. We didn't make any money, of course, but fuck it. We got to play. You get the experience. Who, um, has, who, who, who knows somebody who has made money on their first tour <laughs> you know yeah, definitely in the red. Yeah. yeah maybe alex bent who knows because yeah his first tour is like cannibal or something 
Nah, he yeah. was touring with his dad, remember? Oh, yeah. That, he was that, doing that shit. Or that, that one hardcore band he mentioned. But uh, I was yeah. going to ask how the connection, if, if you were, was it through Vile that you had the connection to Unique Leader or was the connection to Unique Leader there before the tour? I'll tell you, man, what happened with that, we, when we had done the first demo, I made a list of labels, right? As you do. So I had like the big ones, they're like the nuclear, nuclear blast and the air rake and blah, blah, blah. And then I had small, mid and small, like let's give everyone one, okay? Well, right before I got to, well, we actually hadn't gotten the CDs from the pressing. They got delayed because we had to change pressing company because it turns out that the fucking pressing company said no because they were religious. Oh man. It was a Christian company, believe it or not. So they were like, no, we, we can't we can't sort of promote this. And it was like, dude, <laughs> it's business. And they were like, no, 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 we don't want your money. So we had to like Satan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't they, they weren't too fond of us. So when we got before we got the CDs, um there someone said, you know, I am I have a lot of connections in uh in the industry. <laughs> so if you give me the CDs, I will get you a deal. And of course, as you know, that would never ever happen now, but then we thought it was a good idea. And I even handed the fucking list with the labels and said, just whatever you do, just make sure these guys gets a copy. And of course, nothing happened. And of course, the dude stopped taking our calls. And uh, it was just one of those things that you hear a lot of people and it happened to spawn for sure. Fuck. So that was a bummer. And the fact was that we were going to, it was like, fuck this, let's, we want our CDs back and so we can send it out. But there was some extraordinary circumstances, kind of weird, that made the second demo happening because we were actually very happy with the forbidden. We thought we can land a deal with this. But the problem was that the CDs never reached any label and we didn't have the CDs. And during this time, Carlson went to a, a music store and got a real badass high-end guitar effect, like in uh, Eventide or something like that, that Steve Vai and all the great guitar players used. It was very expensive, like four or $5,000. And he got this and brought it home, played it for a week. And then was like, nah, it's not for me. Took it back to the store and the store went, nah, 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 nah. You keep that. Fuck you. So he had to keep it and he didn't want it. So he was like, I don't know what to do with this. So he called the studio because the guy in the studio is a gearhead. He loves that high-end tech stuff. And he said, okay, I'll take it off your hand, give you some money. And then the rest I'll give you in studio time so you can make some sort of profit on it. So that's how... Uh, and we weren't ready. We were like, we don't even have the songs. So that's how, that's why one of the reasons, if you listen to the second demo, the song Spawn Obsession is on there, but it's not complete. So if you live, compare that to the record, there's a whole part in the middle of the whole section in the middle of the song on the record that is not on the demo. And this is one of the reasons, because it was sort of rushed rushed to, to, to do so when we get the church demo i have i take my list and i'm throwing out the seas and one of the first cats that get we got response within 10 days from three labels and one of those people were eric and he was like why haven't i heard about you guys and i was like well you're supposed to have a free i never heard of you guys never got me from cd i want to sign you right now that was it like i want you guys and it would 
like two other labels and they said the same thing. Like we, we want to sign you, but we went with, with unique leader, which of course there was totally the right choice. And that's why, it, and Eric said like, what do you, what do you need from me? Like, well, we need so-and-so to record this album. And I also said, I want to, it was so funny. I said, we want to go on tour like crazy. And he was like, yeah, okay. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand you. I want that in writing. And yeah. he was like, no, you don't, you don't understand. Like most bands, they don't go on tour. Most bands, they stay at home. So if you guys want to go on tour, I promise you I'm going to get you on tour. Because it's hard work and there's no money and blah, 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 you know. So it's, I didn't know that at the time. You know? mm-hmm. And I didn't really care either. We just want to get out there and play. So that's how the, the Cabinet album happened, you know. And he came through on everything. All his promises, he was like, I'll get that done. You can tour the U.S., you can tour Europe. And he made that happen. So that was how we got Unique Lead. It was a classic way. He got the demo and he said, I want to sign you guys. Hell yeah. And then so shortly after you went on, so you did the European tour and then um, then you the next one was the Bloodletting? Yeah. Okay. That was with... Gorgasm, Pyemia, Spawn of Possession, Severed Savior. Yeah. yeah. That was the one. So I think that was 27 shows. It lasted for like seven weeks or something. Um, so that was awesome. That was just like, wow. And of course, like the violating tour we did in, in Europe, it was, it was underground, you know? It was kind of, it is what it is, you know? But we had a lot of fun and, and uh, people were cool. You know, and that was said, you know, where did that show, where did that one start out at? Cause I saw, I think I saw the first and the last show of that tour that started in the Bay and ended in the Bay or something like that. I think we played, um, (laughs) it it was either in San Luis Obispo or it was somewhere. It was, it was a, it was a San Luis Obispo show because that was near the, the ranch, the unique leader ranch. And, uh, then we, yeah, you guys ended in Palo Alto. So it wasn't the Bay necessarily, but yeah. yeah upper. The Palo Alto show was funny. Cause I actually bought tickets for that, like two months in advance. I'm like, this is going to sell out, dude. I need to get it. Cause I had like, no, <laughs> I was like, like this band's so insane. They're going to sell out. It's going to be huge. Like, and yeah. like, and still didn't really, didn't really grasp. Cause I was still new to the whole, the whole underground death metal scene. I mean, pretty new to it that, uh, it wasn't, you know, the most popular genre of music. I was like no. completely blown away. I was like, why is there like only like there's like, I mean, there was people there, but it wasn't like I got my tickets the day they went on sale, like months in advance. Like I was like, they're going to sell out man. I got to I got to yeah. get it. Yeah. And we've already probably mentioned it, but that was the first time you and I met yep. in person. Yeah, me and cool. him and um, Dan Kenny and I met the Bill from Decrepit. I met everyone that night was like the. You know, I was a little fanboy that night. I was just like completely blown away by seeing Spawn, my favorite band, in person. And then I got to see Decrepit, meet them, talk to them. I think Mike and Eric were there. Yeah, and just was like totally like starry-eyed. Like, geez, I remember um, before the show, we got there really early, and um, we were eating at Subway, <laughs> and uh, all you guys came into the Subway, and I was like, oh my god, it's fucking. That's Dennis and Jonas, dude, from Spawn of this. I don't, don't want to look at them, dude. I'm so like, I got like nervous, like like literally, like if you were to see like. Um, like a humongous rocks, like a like a Axl Rose walked in. That was like you guys walking in. That was like Isn't that funny, dude. I got a, a Muhammad story running into him at a fucking Seven Eleven, dude, in Maryland. Just like, oh, dude, 
but I actually did talk to him. I was like, what's up, dude? And fucking said I was there for him. And he let us buy T-shirts out of the back of their rental Jeep. I was like, dude, I got a fucking <laughs> Necro shirt before everybody else, dude. They were yeah, on their yeah. way to the venue. And so were we just stopping getting fucking Gatorade because we've been partying all night, you know, the night before. Yeah. Did you guys yeah, ever dude. play with Spawn or with a Necrophagist ever? No. 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 I'd be, uh, imagine if, uh, you guys and Necrophagist came out of retirement and were like, we're going to do a tour together. Oh, dude, that, <laughs> that was like, blow. that would sell out. That would be humongous. Heck, check, yeah, I'll you, before, um, I was very, like, I got to say, like, nowadays, I'm very disconnected. I, if I listen to music, I kind of go on Spotify. I mean, I don't see album covers, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but back then, I was very connected into the scene. I, I emailed, responded, blah, 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 did all that stuff. A lot of trading with bands. And I'll tell you a funny story, because um, this was when we had our second demo out, and I had been become friendly with rick richard from a, a band called deranged a swedish kind of gore mm-hmm. band like mm-hmm. old school been around forever so we were kind of we would talk on the phone once in a while and then they had done a tour and, and he called me up and was like yeah i was on tour and everything and he said there was a band on that tour that i'm i think you would probably like them i didn't like them he said because he wasn't into the tech stuff and he said yes, they're called necrophagist so okay so i and this must have been like 99 or something 2000 maybe so it's like okay immediately going online checking them out and uh, and they had that the the uh the record with the drum machine out the onset so i emailed um muhammad right and uh so we did a trade and we actually shot some emails back and forth and talked about whatever you know and we'll see maybe in the future but that sort of died out and as it as it does, you know. So uh, and then of course they put out the uh what's it called Epitaph that mm-hmm. which is uh, obviously like a really incredible record and and I know we've been compared a great deal with, with Necro for sure. Like so But you guys and, definitely have your own distinct Yeah. yeah. It's just like definitely. that that kinda is a I guess people just hear shred like you know classical style shredding or whatever they're like oh yeah these two bands are the same but really sit down with it and actually pick it apart and you'll realize they're Way spawn different. is possession is spawn a possession and yeah. necrophages is necrophages yeah. well, i think yeah, yeah. also like you guys were like the bands that kind of like innovated that you know like not all bands were doing that back then you know now there's a lot of bands that do all that kind of stuff yeah listen i mean yeah. listen to devouring the prophecy and then cryptic and tell me that it was that spawn right, possession yeah. and necro didn't have something to do with the evolution of that band dude because now there's solos they're fucking tech <laughs> yeah. super tech fucking you know fast and fucking yeah there was something that was that download right there dude that made that happen but, i mean it's true it was kind of like the bee's knees like back in the day was like spawn and necro i mean it was just like and of course suffo and all the you know classics but it was like for all those early bands like we were just like I mean, we, we loved all the bands, but we always kind of were just like spawns up here. I'm sorry. It's just the way it was. Like, <laughs> well, you know, when you're when you're younger and you're, you know, you're playing guitar or playing music and stuff. And especially when you get into death metal and you're, you know, at a younger age, you're always trying to find the crazier thing. Like, what's the. Yeah. Like, what, OK, OK, we found this band. What's what's the. Oh, this band, though. And then like, oh, it's this band. Then it just keeps going and going yeah. and going until, you know, until well, you hit spawn or necrophages. Basically. And, and you guys like 
just get better with age, man. It's like like jo- when Joel told me that you we were gonna have you on the podcast, I, like I got all stoked and I I was like in my car and I I re-listened to Cabinet, you know, and I was just like, God damn, like so many times, like throughout the album, I was just like, oh, I forgot how fucking good this is, like you know. Yeah, I listened so to it cool. on the way to the studio here today, so I I, yeah. I still love that album. And I, I'm a generation later than these guys, like six years younger, but. Also, all my friends grew up with that album and Noctambulant. And all the albums. Yeah. yeah. And And Noctambulant for me was, was I think, more of an influence at first. But over time, I've I've been with them almost as long each. So I wanted to ask about Noctambulant. Did you write the lyrics for that album, too? And that concept for that album was really influential for me as a lyricist, too. The way you took a whole concept through the album from a first person perspective. And I'm working on lyrics for an album right now, and I'm going to go revisit that idea. But can you talk yeah. about coming up with that? Yeah, it, it was basically one of those ideas because uh, I, I used to remember um, we were like Jonas, like all of us were pretty heavy into King Diamond and, you know, and still are, you know, and, and listening to those old like uh, Conspiracy and them and those classics. And it he, he does that thing. He does the concept thing and he does it so well. Like he's very simplistic in his way. You know, we got to repaint the front door soon and shit like that. But it's just so graphic. You totally can see it in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I was always mighty impressed. But I also realized, okay, I can't do that because that, that's his signature. I have to do something different. And then I think um, there was also um, another favorite album of my us, uh, Seven Sun with Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. That's also a concept album, I believe. Um, so I, I think I, I said to Jones, maybe we should. What do you think? Like doing that? And he was, he was like, yeah, do whatever. He's always been very like liberal like that. Like, yeah, whatever you do, you do his stuff. So, and the only thing was that we sort of had to. I had we had to figure out the order of the songs before I started with the lyrics because I've never written lyrics and then apply them to songs. I've always written with the song in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. That's just, like, that's how I like to do it. So we, we had that thing going and, uh, and then at the time I, it's kind of blurry because that album happened in our world. It happened so fast. Noctambulant, like cabinet. We, we stewed on that for like five years with the demos, with everything you got to try out, blah, blah, blah. And then we did the record. With Noctambulant, it was like from start to finish, I think was a year, which like I said, for us, that was quick. And that album, this is kind of another thing, like each album has been written very differently. Cabinet was written in the old fashioned way where Jonas would bring riffs to rehearsal and we would, you know, listen, he would play and I would kind of mess around with the drums and then Oh, what about that other rip? What, what if we try to connect the blah, blah, blah. And then we go back and forth a little bit. So that's how that album more or less happened. Noctambulant, we didn't have a practice place anymore in the beginning of that. So the first two songs, Jonas sent me, he would put them in, um, in a sort of a tab. Power program. tab. Yeah, power tab, exactly. So he would send me bits and pieces like that. And I think... He and I was the only ones that was imaginary who could hear the guitars and hear stuff. Because most people was like, that sounds like a Nintendo game. What is that? They didn't get, you know, you have to have, <laughs> you have to listen, see beyond that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he did, he could totally see it. I could totally see it. So 
we would be on the phone and talk about it and I would maybe switch something and send it back and he would switch and send it and we would sort of work like that. And that was interesting because I wrote the drums in my head completely. We didn't make any drum tracks. So when we finally got um, a practice pad, and this was in the middle of the whole noctambulin thing, when we finally got the practice pad, I remember we got out there and, and we played some old songs and yeah, it feels good and stuff. And then me and Joe's like, should we try to play? Like, the, because we had two finished songs and it was Lash by Lash and In My Own Greed. Yeah. And I'd never played the drums. Like literally never. I had them in my head because I constantly had work. I worked at a storage facility. So I would constantly listen to these MIDI files. So, and we got through them in, in the first sitting. It was pretty spectacular. We were like shocked, like, wow, what happened? And the other guys were like, yeah, oh, some great songs, guys. Like, yeah, let's do them, you know? So those songs were, for Noctambulum, was way more theoretically put together, if you, you know. Uh, we didn't get a chance to practice. Like Scourge, the last song, I think that was the, the last song we wrote. I think me and Jonas played it maybe three times, four times. And then it was like, well, we, we're off to the studio. It was basically like that. So we never got a chance to to uh, to play it. Because again, and, and it is what it is. I mean, I, I, I think the songs hold up. I think the album is cool and all that. But you know, when you're when you're practicing, like with cabinet songs, we could play a song for a year and then sort of, well, wait a minute, what if we blah, blah, they kind of evolve. Um, but with Noctambulant, it was really like, boom, 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 here we go. This is what we got. And then the click track is ready. We, we can't compromise, we can't mess around with this, so. So does that does that album have some of those? Oh, I wish I could. It, it, I wish I had more time with it because I would have done it this way at this part, you know, instead of how it is. Because it's like you're saying it's you guys had to, all that time to sculpt cabinet and then really quickly compared to that, put uh, get in the studio for the second one and then just stamp it into time and then that's it. You don't have the extra four years to sit and be like, oh, I could have done something here. No, but, but, but that, that is a very good question. I think it, it, there's also, I've, I've sort of come to terms with that, that, that there's also a risk. Sometimes you just need to let the music go and say, okay, it is done. Fuck it. I'm not going to, you know, work on it because I got to, because when you, when you finish a song and you, you nail it in the practice place, you get that sort of you know exciting feelings like whoa we nailed this fucking great song now obviously if you keep keep playing that song you might get a little tired of it mm -hmm. and if you haven't recorded it subconsciously you sort of know all oh, right we can change it around but now it we're up. doing it maybe we're doing it just because we're kind of bored with a really good song it's just that we have forgotten kind of how good it is you know what i mean so i'm not saying that happened on cabinet but i'm sure it could happen i don't know so, uh, and we didn't do any massive changes on cabinet. It was more like um, tweaking stuff. Like I would come up with some drum thing. Like the, So yeah, those kind of things, sure. That would have been cool. But I think the only thing that we felt with Noctamblin, because we wanted it to be, uh, we, we always focused on atmosphere, but we wanted it to be a darker record. And if you listen to it, there were things that, like the bass drums doesn't have that super uber kind of clicky sound. It's more like muddy. It's more it's more like a bass drum, like a, you know that feeling. Mm -hmm. And also the guitar guitar sound. It's stale the triaxis. 
it's still like the same amp. It's a different amp than we used on cabinet, but it's still the same gear. But we made it, um, it's a little muddy. It's a little darker. I don't know how to put words on it, but that's something me and Jonas talked about. Like, fuck, we should have kept it more cabinet style, maybe, you know. But then again, I mean, people seem to, you know, learn to live with it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, as an artist, that's how it's got to be, dude. You got to yeah. make it, and then there it is. Yeah. And if you have, you know, whatever things you would not necessarily regrets just things you would have done yeah. different. it's like we keep we constantly evolve we're never going to be fully happy with our art exactly. and that's but that album like takes you on a very particular adventure and like i've gone on that adventure so many times that i do think there's like a perfection to it as maybe more of like a theoretical guitar pro mapped out album or tech, uh, guitar tab it it stands as its own amazing artwork so i really appreciate that Thank it you. did come out the way it did well, you know, that's, that's also, I think that that's, that's uh, attributed to the fact that we, we were, uh, aside from the fact that we didn't have a place to play, we were very a very like tight unit when, I mean, we did four tours, full tours on cabinet. So when we were done with all that, it, we were like totally, I mean, we were so locked in in terms of the playing and the mindset. We knew exactly, and, and we didn't write on the tours, but we, me and Jonas talked many times on sort of the vision, if you want to be a little pretentious about it, but we kind of knew what, what, in what direction we wanted to go, like get a little more weird, more this, more that, you know? So uh, I think that when we recorded it, we, we knew, we very much knew what we were doing. We were more fresh on cabinet. When, when Octangling came around, I just remember being extremely comfortable doing the drums on that, mm -hmm. just having a good time in the studio, which up to that point, I hated going to the studio. You know? So did you actually play Scorched in the studio at the recorded tempo, which is something like 310 BPM? Yeah, but it, it it's uh, with um, Punch In, I played it with, I didn't play it one take. I'll, for the record, no, it's not a one take song. Having a snare that tight, that like that hard in that tempo, uh, fuck that. Like <laughs> it, it's doable. I could have done it maybe if I had all the time and all the money, maybe I could have done it. But again, the whole thing with the studio for me, the prestige about that, look, I totally respect musicians going in, just nailing it. Uh, man i take my hat off to that but for me i have a slightly different philosophy because if you're comfortable doing that go ahead and do it but for me it's like here we have all this fucking technology and i hope people are not listening to it and thinking like oh i wonder you know did, did jonas play that lick in one two? you know what i mean it's like is this a mm -hmm. first take i i don't because i don't think like that when i listen to music Maybe I did way back, but now I, I don't pay attention to that stuff because I don't think it's relevant. What's relevant is how it sounds. Then we can talk about how you did it, but then again, you have to go on stage and perform. Yeah. So yeah. that's where the sort of evidence comes out if you're into yeah. that stuff. Going back to um, performing, you said, I mean, there was a one video just to kind of, you know, talk about the, the mythological spawn of possession stuff. Um, there's one video out there of, I don't know, it wasn't uh, Carlson, it was a, a newer guitar player, I think, but he he did a, or might have been Bristling, I don't know, but he uh, did the whole song uh, Blindfolded. 
Does you remember? Oh, yeah, that? Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was uh, the hired hired guitar player for uh, the Incurso tour. Yeah, okay. and the reason he was blindfolded was that uh, he was kind of a big mouth about you know I can play this shit blindfold. So on the last show, the dudes from I think it was Exivius came out <laughs> and put a blindfold on him, and was like, <laughs> "Okay, play." And somebody was there with a camera that night, so that's how that came about. It was pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny. Did, yeah. yeah, no, that's crazy. That's, I just wanted yeah. to follow up about the blast beat on Scorch, like. Obviously, yeah. when I listen to that song, like I'm not thinking about that other than as a musician myself, wondering if I can do it myself. That's yeah. kind of how you think about those questions. But obviously, I agree with your philosophy on technology yeah, and music. Yeah. I, yeah, I have to say, I mean, when we practiced it, like me and Jonas practiced it, uh, we we played the song. Like we yeah. played it, but I didn't have a click track in a practice pad. So obviously, hmm, was it like that tight like record tight probably not you know the chances are you know no um but the whole idea was that yeah we're going to do it live that because that was something we were going to change because we always finished the shows with uh church of deviants like a quick sort of beat in the face yeah. so we said we're going to play church midway and end the show with scorch that's going to be awesome and i also the only prestige i have ever had as a drummer is playing the, the hardest, fastest song last when you're the most tired. It's like a little, oh, you're so tired. No, watch this. And then you play, you know, like a fun thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, uh, well, what happened there was that even before the album was released and we hadn't had any time to, to practice after the studio, we got an offer to do a tour with Hate Eternal. Nice. And the, the other guys in the band didn't know Scorch and half the album they they couldn't play those songs they hadn't learned it so we had to scramble a, a set really quick so we had like lash by lash sour flow and one more song those were the ones that they knew how to play mm -hmm. so that was what we brought on the road and it didn't really matter because that that tour was so talking about how many people you get in the audience i remember us playing fucking birmingham or something uh in england or bristol or something and it was like dude five people watching us it was like really it was like should we play it was like, yeah. but it, there was a couple of hardcore fans and of course okay this is your night here you go <laughs> you know buy a bunch of shirts dude <laughs> like, <laughs> please yeah that's awesome i guess yeah. you treat those as practice right oh yeah for sure just but, but i gotta say also about scorching about that stuff and and just a recording philosophy in general and uh this is quite relevant to Spawn, I think, is that uh, he, the, the producer adapted that way of, I don't know if you've seen um, uh, a year and a half in the life of Metallica, those documentaries, like when they did the Black Album, they made one documentary on the, on the studio and one on the road. Mm -hmm. They're really, really good. Like the best Metallica documentaries I've ever seen, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, they sit there in the studio and they sort of what the producer Bob Rock is doing, he's looking for the magic take. So it's nothing to do with the band if they're able to play it or not. He's just he's waiting for the right sort of, oh, there we go. That's the magic, you know? And that's what the producer we work with, he's always worked like that as well. So he sort of takes away out the prestige. He's like, yeah, yeah I know you can play this. It's, it, that's not the point with, with, 
we're going we're gonna to get the, like, it, it's really good. And sometimes you get on a roll and you just keep, keep going and everything. And sometimes it's like, not, it's just not right. It's just a little too, sounds too static or too this or too that, you know. So we'll work on it till you get it, like, the way it should work. And so, like I said, with, in terms of the, sort of the productions of Spawn Obsession and the sound and the atmosphere, he has been a key figure because in my mind, it was always like, well, we go in and we just fucking, you play and then you miss a beat and then you punch it in and then you keep going and then there's a song. But he was like, well, you can do better than that. That was his philosophy. You can do, you can do way better than that. Of course, it's harder and takes more time. It costs more mm-hmm. money, blah, blah, blah. But you end up with something that hopefully is very special. So that's sort of been our philosophy when we got into the head of him, you know, and he got into our head, certainly that that's what, that's sort of how we work with Spawn on, on all the records, really. I hear a lot of bands say that um, they need that person to kind of tell them that sucked you know, or like you could do better or like uh, for us, you know, like going in with Zach Oren, um, who's done a bunch of albums now, but that was kind of like whenever I'm actually I did like the the hardest song first because I was doing the, the bass for uh, Cryptic Implosion and um, a song it's kind of like a with you guys and the you know the guitar pro and stuff like that like there's a song at the end that we never played but we were you know Casey put it together on tour or something in the and uh, we basically I went in there and I'm like well I'm gonna do the hardest one first and and the biggest kick in the pants was he looked at me he goes do you even know what you're doing right now like, <laughs> he like looked at me and I was like no I don't so he was like you can do better like we'll do this do this change you know he was like helping me out through it because I had never obviously it was my first like real t- uh, studio experience and it was a song we hadn't played so it was like two things that you know that were kind of hitting me at the same time I was nervous and and a lot of yeah. stuff but it's something if you you know especially i mean even with like like vocals and stuff like some i'm sure after a certain amount of time you're like i think that was good i can't even tell if it's good anymore i don't even yes. know if it's good anymore you know and yes i'm gonna go like no you need to do it again or yes yeah definitely Excellent. it's always good yeah, yeah you're totally right and we were fortunate like i said before this it was pure coincidence that we ended up in this studio because i know several metal studios obviously i know a lot of bands have been they're more like yeah okay guys here's the rec button and i'm gonna go and have a coffee have fun it's more like that attitude it's up to the band and if you're lucky someone in the band will have the discipline and i can tell you with spawn obsession um jonas uh, in terms of cabinet and octamula, Jonas Bristling is the the only one who's had that discipline himself. In other words, he he can produce himself. He really can, and uh, and he has done that many times. But he prefers still to have someone he because you want to shut your brain off. You just want to go and have someone tell you like. And in the beginning, of course, it was painful someone telling you like, that's son. What do you know, man? You played yourself, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, it's not my job. It's your job and I'm not gonna let you get out of the studio until you nail it. And yeah, and I remember he would, would tell me stuff like, when I would warm up, he would say, you you nailed that blast beat perfectly and, and when you were warming up, do it now. Like stuff like that, but but again, I mean, he was tough, but he was also encouraging and and all that stuff. But it made me it made me remember um, on uh, speaking about uh, Noctambulant and uh, the song Scorched. I actually cheated a little bit because when we started that song, I recorded it midway, and I started up and 
gave it a couple of shots to get it going because it's, it's very fast. It's just like, I'm not going to be silly about it. It's a fast song. And then behind me was a window. And in the window was a bunch of drumsticks that other drummers had left and stopped. It was just like a whole collection. And it was the, I found like a drumstick was like extremely small and it weighed absolutely nothing. I was like, what is this? Is this a toy? I don't know what this is, but I actually, uh, I actually used that. It kind of made it a little, little slightly easier. I had to hit harder to get the, you know, the notes uh, to hit, to get the, the strength. Velocity. But yeah. It, yeah. But it was slightly easier to play. So that's how I sort of got through it. I that's a great anecdote. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember that now I had this little, little toy stick or something, but, uh, yeah, I used my fingers pretty much when I play anyway, but it was just a little easy to maneuver with it. But I felt afterwards, I was like, man, I got to get those. But then I felt, you know, for the more heavier parts, like when you slow down and you want to do the toms, it, it wouldn't really work. You need real sticks. You know? Yeah. Well, one more thing on the drumming on that album is we're talking yeah. a lot about that song, but that's kind of uh, not what the rest of the album is all about. And a lot of that album, the drumming is a lot more... Um, maybe atmospheric and you're doing a lot of amazing stuff over like clean guitar parts. And there's just so many dynamics and, and variation in the drumming in general on that album. Thank you. And actually I can, we can talk a little bit about that because when, when we were going in, I thought that this was going to, we we're going to take up the speed in my mind. It was like, well, we're fast, we're fast. And then Jonas said, no, 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 no. We, we, you can't go like, because of all that touring on cabin, I had obviously elevated my, my chops, and he said, no, the, the riffs for this album are so sick at times. We got to keep the tempos down. So I had, I, I remember thinking like, man, wah, wah, hmm, hmm. but then I thought about one of my like all time favorite death metal albums, Pierce from Within, with <laughs> suffocation, like a masterpiece. So I even got the tattoo. So, and that album, like I fucking love Mike Smith to death, but that album, that's not a fast record. I mean, the blast speed on that is like, it's not like nothing like anyone else, but they fucking, they made that work. It brought a groove to suffocation that was like unheard of. And I think the drummer's name is Doug Bond. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's almost like you can either look at like, oh man, he's struggling with the blast and he's struggling with the pedals, but I choose to not look at, I look at like, this is perfect for these riffs. And um, so that was my mindset going into uh, Octamble. And I thought, oh, okay, wait, well, I'll play like that. You know, there's, I don't have to go faster. And, and besides, if you take down your, your, your normal speed, you'll play even better, you know? And, and like I said before, I felt very comfortable recording that. The thing about um, <laughs> uh, Scorch was that Jonas said, cause we talked about it and he said, you know, this song is, you can go how fast you want. Which score? You can go, I don't care. I can play any speed. Just go nuts. Because it, those riffs will work. The faster you go, the better it will be. Yeah. And that was like, oh, you're giving me a challenge. And then, of course, you know, uh, it became very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I used to not think it was even physically possible. I, it was one of those moments like that's impossible. And now that I'm a drummer, ten years later, I'm like, I can. I've played through it a couple times. I can see how it's possible, but it's still at the upper limit of of, of playability. Um, yeah, like physically. 
I was just going to say, like, a dream scenario was that me and Jonas wanted to play it on the tour we did with Hate Eternal. And, like, a dream scenario would have been, like, if we performed it live and I played it the way it should be played and somebody videotaped it, yeah. put it on YouTube. So, like, there you go. But we, it happened with Church Deviants, so it's out there. But Yeah. Have you seen the video of Kevin Hedrich, who's the German guitarist who played Scorched on guitar at, like, faster than it was recorded? He, like, sped it no. up a certain amount? Oh. It's insane. Yeah. That guy is yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he played it like it's like thirty percent faster or something like that, or forty yeah. percent faster or well, something like that. Well, yeah, he's done other songs. Like he's played a lot of necrophagist uh, songs at like one twenty-five yeah. percent or something. He's also wow. toured with Defeated Sanity as a touring member, so he's just like a really sick guitarist. But uh, yeah, you should check yeah. him out. Um, but yeah, man, it's so great to nerd out about all that material. That's just been super influential to an entire generation of musicians how i mean we've one more thing is like we've talked about some of the the rhythm and stuff but just the the guitar theory and like it's like classical neoclassical but not like neoclassical in the way that obscura or um um those bands are but it's like modern classical that a lot of it's it's really on the brink of like progressive music um i would say well, that, that's also because when, remember I mentioned uh, that we had like a more Swedish sounding death metal band before, had way more uh, Baroque kind of uh, more, a little, little bit more like Necro, those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, which we were like totally into at the time. But I think Jonas, he, he's he's always like, Bach has always been the, the main guy but he also started checking out um other like you said more modern and uh different kind of stuff i remember we were sitting and listening to stravinsky and these crazy shostakovich and i mean these crazy composers who made they, they sort of broke the mold on that because at the end of the day like baroque is kind of air candy in a way it's very sweet it's super nice i love it but it's kind of when you when you listen to other stuff, uh, there's because there's so much out there, um, you find stuff. And I think Jonas was very receptive to that, and he he understood it. That's an important part too. He he really got what they were doing. And the thing with with uh, we were talking earlier about you said it was like spot the necron the melodies and the solos and stuff. Very early on, Jonas had this idea of what if you play a song and you have like the intro and then the verse and the, the chorus and so on. You do the traditional, but then somewhere along the line, you have this huge melodic part, this sort of freestanding, but it connects with the rest of the song. We call it, when I translate, it sounds really silly, but we call it cookies. <laughs> like we need a cookie in this song. I'm, I, I kid you not. It's really that. It's like, we need a cookie. And he, so basically what you could do is you could have like a separate thing that was just freestanding and then put it into a song and see how it would work and maybe tweak it a little bit to make it all sort of entwined and, and, and get working really good. And that's what, that's, I think that's what separated Spawn a little bit, that you would get like a little surprise somewhere in the middle yeah. before or after the solo. That was one of, that was very early. Yeah. And those obviously, uh, uh, yeah. They evolved with the albums too. Jonas is, goes nuts with those. We even talked about maybe we should write a song without one. I don't, I don't know how. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need them. You know. <laughs> yeah. 
What a great concept. I've never heard it described as a cookie, but like I immediately thought of a bunch of songs that already have those and, and entire yeah. bands that base their it's I think that is a pretty ubiquitous That's idea. Like Opeth thing. Yeah. Right. To have the they got a bunch of cookies in their stuff. Yeah. I would say that too. Definitely. Or like Cynic. Cynic would have those at yeah. like the end of I'm the so album. I'm so gonna start finding cookies. I'm gonna be looking for cookies <laughs> in all the songs that I listen to now, dude. Mm-hmm. Like what flavors they are too. Like yeah. oh dude, this is kind of chocolate chip type. <laughs> you know, oatmeal raisin at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know if it's a is a Jonah is bristling doing any form of music or anything anymore or is it just kind of you guys just kind of stepped away uh, no he is uh i'm i haven't spoken to him in a while and he actually wrote me like three days ago i haven't spoken to him since winter uh, we, because we don't live in the same town um but i also know he he still writes he's a writing machine and he writes all kinds of shit like we, and we usually but what he wrote me about was like we're going to hook up this summer because his dad lives here so he was coming down to visit his dad and i said uh yeah for sure we should meet up we always you know drink a bunch of beers and he, and he usually like the last time he would play play me a bunch of real weird stuff like that he has done and we constantly talk about doing something like um he's got he's he's been working on something um, that I that I said I'm, I'll be happy to do vocals and, and maybe bass on because I've been playing uh, quite a lot of bass. So, but then we haven't spoken about it, so I'm not sure where where we're at with all that stuff. But would it be a spawn of possession thing, or would it just be a side project? No, kind of thing? no, this is like no, this is really down tuned, really like uh, uh, I don't know really what to say about it. It's 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 I think it's it's very old school mm-hmm. because there's a side to it, it's interesting like when you talk about when when we're, we're talking about spawn obsession one would assume like I did with bands like that the only thing we listen to are tech death bands but that's not the case at all I mean mm-hmm. Jonas he he has a wide range of all kinds of different bands he listens to and so do I um so inspiration comes from all, all over the place i guess and then of course like classical music and movie scores and you know all kinds of crazy shit out there but we'll see what happens uh yeah i don't i i i, I like i said I, I was hoping to see him before i did this podcast because i could have given you something on it but i don't want to speculate on it you know i need to talk to him first you know well it's definitely good that uh definitely made me very happy to know that you guys are at least still like musicians you didn't put it down and walk away you guys are still working on stuff and still you know there's a possibility of connecting in the future that's awesome like i'm sure everyone will be stoked to hear that possibility um that's what everyone wants (laughs) (laughs) want you guys guys just to get together and make music whether it's spawn or something just you know you guys are incredible so definitely um cross my fingers for that cool how often you how often do you sit down on the kit right now Dennis oh man I ha- I can honestly say I haven't touched drums in many years really um, no I mean I have kids and I live in an apartment so that's where the bass came in I like I need something I need I fucking need I I'm going crazy I need something because I watch drummers on YouTube all the time yeah. I love watching great musicians I, I, I watch guitar play I watch all that shit you know but um 
I connected with the bass, obviously, for it has the rhythmic thing. And I started figuring out, like, that was also another thing that I never really understood, like how a real good bass line is constructed and how it helps elevates the song and how it makes, like, you know, cheesy pop songs work because a lot of the bait what's what the bass is doing uh, when you sort of realize that just how important a bass is and stuff uh so um but i'm itching to play drums i'll be very honest about that i fucking i actually last night i was hanging out with henrik who played drums on incurso we haven't seen each other for the whole corona bit so he came down um uh to visit me and uh so we were just having a night of beers and music last night. It was awesome. Oh yeah. And he Great. he has an he he has a daughter now and he hasn't been playing, but he was like the same way. Like, dude, I gotta get back on the saddle. He he just wants to play drums again too. I miss the drums a lot, you know, more and more. And now, like my kids are growing up, I'm thinking I gotta have a like an e kit at home. Yeah. So, so they have so they can try that out they can try the guitar you know whatever the keyboards and shit and hopefully they'll, they'll <laughs> you know start like playing yeah continue to me i don't really miss the whole uh i miss the band thing i love to sort of jam and practice and stuff and play with the guys i, I miss that but the whole therapy of, of just playing an instrument like I'll be standing, I can stand down here in my, my man cave and play my bass for an hour. Just, just jamming on the bass. That's it. Like not, not practicing really just playing along to records and having fun with it. That's just, that's just pure therapy for me. Mm -hmm. So it's meditative. Yeah. Home. It's like meditative. Cause you, you're not yeah, thinking exactly. about anything else except for yeah, exactly. being, being in that moment. Mm. So it's like forced meditation almost. Yeah. <laughs> totally and so, so go, yeah. going from uh so we were at noctambulant so what was yeah. the writing because you said um so and this is something i didn't even know so you had a different drummer on incur so it wasn't you doing drums no okay so, so what happened was yeah, go for it. uh so we're doing the noctambulant and we we get on the um uh, we do the tour and it was just, it was a really bad tour. Um, and that was, that's not attributed to Hate Eternal. Fucking awesome band. Fucking Eric, super cool. The guys he had in the band, I don't think any of them are playing with Hate Eternal anymore, but they were super cool. Every, every, everything was great. But it was extremely poorly promoted. Like it was, everyone just lost money. One of the bands fucking left the tour. And um, I just remember everyone's just bombed. We didn't get beers. We didn't get money. We didn't. It's like, what, really? And um, uh, Nick Barker, if you know, the drummer from Demu and um, a bunch of bands. Mm -hmm. I guess he played with Cradle Field Falls. Yeah. Yep. He was the tour manager on that. And uh, and he, he, he was also like, he really cool guy but he was also like man his tourists like nobody's coming to the shows nobody's know we're coming to town what the fuck so when we got home from that tour we were just really bummed it was like and i started doubting myself my drumming like nah fuck this i don't want to do this life anymore i don't care going from being totally into it like totally uh, 
talking to all the band, going to shows, hooking up, trading, blah, blah, blah. I was like, nah, I'm going to do something else, whatever. And then in the middle of that, me and, and Jonas uh, Bruce had a, a, like a bad falling out. Like, fuck, it was bad. So he moved to another city and we didn't like, we didn't speak for five years or something. And it was just, it was one of those things. Like if we're going to end the band, it should be on a good note, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, considering everything that's all we've been through together with the tours and the buses and all that stuff. Since high school and shit. Yeah. That was just, that was just a bad situation. Um, so that was basically it for Noctambula, and that was what happened. And it was, I mean, there's tons of stuff that happened on the tour. The merchandise didn't arrive. We didn't have anything to sell. When we went on the tour, we had nothing. Fuck. And we weren't getting paid for the shows. So that was like, okay, wait a minute. We, we This is our second album. We did four tours, two of them with Cannibal Corpse on the first one where we made money. Mm-hmm. And now we're out here, and we're not making anything. And then finally, like way into the tour, the boxes arrived. It's like, yay. We get these Church of Deviance hoodies, and it says Church of Defiance on the back. I was like, what the fuck, man? <sighs> like, there was nothing worked. Everything just fell apart. And the bus, like three buses. We were up in the fucking Italian Alps, driving the bus. All of a sudden, the bus stops, and the driver comes like, hey, um, bus doesn't work. So you take a backpack and start walking. And we're like, what? In the middle of the fucking Alps? So we get out and there's a bike race and all these bikes come. It was just like, are you kidding me? It was just that we didn't get food at the places and no showers. It was just really bad. Yeah. And that's, that's one, it was so demoralizing. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, how it is like, you just finished a record. You want to show this, you want to present mm-hmm. it. And it's like two people with their backs. They're at the bar drinking. Oh, there's a band who cares, you know? So that was a that was a bummer, yeah. But I, yeah. I just want to be clear: had nothing to do with the package in itself. It was, and because we we toured with a company called Metallicy, it was huge in Europe. They did I all remember the hearing that name. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they did these festivals package that we went on with Cannibal and Hypocrisy and Cataclysm, like all these fucking bands. It was awesome. And when we were doing this tour. There was someone who knew someone connected to Metallic who was going to start up his own company. That was the thing, and so we got on that roster. And uh, obviously, he didn't do his fucking homework or something. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, that's so that crazy, was crazy, dude. That's fucking yeah. wild. I would, that I would just feel like fucking trapped, dude. You're trapped. Oh yeah. And it was yeah, it was bad. And what the band had left, it became thing like the nick was pissed off it's like what you can't leave what the fuck are you doing and then they were like no fuck this this is just a loser well yeah because <laughs> everybody didn't get a bunk the bus was for three bands and we were four bands so it was like okay you have to sit and sleep every other night uh sit mm-hmm. up in like a chair and then <laughs> then you and the other it was like you have to switch that every night it was stuff like that going on Crazy. It was bad. It I guess we know that that demoralizing feeling you're talking about when you you know yeah. you've have the album out and you're gonna go play, go do a tour or something like that. And I remember 
even with uh, bloodletting, it was like that a few times, like where we, you know, we started off big. We started off in L.A. and all these big shows that were like sold out. And like even with I mean, we played a show in L.A. that had Emperor down the street and we still sold out. So it was like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. like, damn, this is going to be insane. Like we were like all looking forward to it. Then we hit like the middle of the country. and It's like, all right, 10 people. Or was it that we, like, you know? we crossed with Origin and there's like six people there? Yeah, yeah. And like St. Louis or something. We played we with, like, we're, yeah, it was like a one-off where Origin was coming through. They headlined our package and yeah, it was a to, killer fucking lineup. Dude. To be like fair, that night, people. wasn't there like a tornado or something that night? Oh, uh, yeah. I think there was like some I, tornado. I think uh, Central Illinois Metal Fest was also happening like very close. So like oh. everybody was already over there. It was kind of like our tour definitely shouldn't have gotten that close to that that, and, that you know, uh, all, fest, all, you know all the props to to joe and stuff with um with gathering of the sick but there's you know we uh went out to do this little mini tour to end up at this festival in new mexico called gathering of the sick that my buddy puts on and we were just like thinking like dude it's gonna be like humongous like it's gonna be like so many people i remember there was like like 40 people maybe 30 mm-hmm. people <laughs> like mm-hmm. this big festival that we're like we're yeah we're gonna go play this it's like we had more people at the shows before <laughs> you know like yeah. like it was you know i know that feeling though that you're talking about though it's you know what you know you start reflecting and going like damn what are we what, why am i even doing this like there's not even anyone like that many people showing up but you know there was cool things with decrepit when i was in decrepit that were we would play oklahoma and there'd be 10 people play at the same place again there'd be 20 and then one time we showed up there and there was 300 you know yeah. so it was like that was like probably one of the more accomplishing things from going from the demoralizing no people at the show and then actually seeing it work you know like hitting yeah, the street, yeah, yeah. hitting the tour circuit and actually seeing people the word get spread and then that was like kind of saving grace with the you know the demoralizing like small shows you know it was actually seeing the work that you put in and seeing it actually pay off you know at places that you've never you know middle of the country places you would never go to on your own but people are you know building a fan base there was something awesome yeah. that actually helps pick me up a little bit oh yeah for sure i i that, that, and, and I, I think about it sometimes and it technically it shouldn't really matter it is like you're you're on tour you're supposed to like play shows and you shouldn't really care i mean for, you know what i mean it's like you shouldn't mm-hmm. it shouldn't bother you if there's like 10 people or, or 500 whatever but we're only human. It does, you know, mm-hmm. it affects. Uh, but then again, we play. And you can't even sell them T-shirts because you no. fucking, your shit's not there yet. No. And then you go like try to to to, to uh, tell yourself like, well, it's not about the money. Then you come home to a fucking stack of bills, and it's like, oh fuck, I need to yeah. pay all that shit. It's like, yeah. Hey, there's a uh, point with uh with touring with uh, Odious and stuff where we were dumpster diving for like food and shit like we were like we'd go on we'd go on the like uh our guitar player david like knew like where the companies were that made you know certain food items and we just go and they throw away so many perfectly fine items because they're not up to standard or whatever of what they need to release so they'll go to the the bakery and go like go rummage through and they'd have like all these humongous loaves of bread and like all this awesome bread and we'd go to like just in sometime actually we went to a Budweiser once and got a bunch of like half filled like Budweisers and like <laughs> the ones that just didn't get fully filled on the yeah uh, it's like still fine everything was fine but yeah just that that struggle you know that was uh it was real that was definitely like uh we were in it you know we were we were doing it there was there was no other 
thing we wanted to do and that's you know that's something i would never do now <laughs> you know like <laughs> i kind of struggle you know and once you grow up a little bit you're like damn we used to we really went hard with that man that was uh yeah. we really did it for the for the love of the music you know oh yeah totally that's what it's all about definitely definitely yeah. so in curso so you said that drummer so basically was the writing process the same with so you, you and jonas had a falling out and then how did that get mended and get back together to make curso what happened was simply that um, in the after Spawn, I went away on my, and I did, and this is really bizarre. I, I did a record with uh, Nick, where I play guitars and I do vocals, and Nick plays uh, bass, and then um, Henrik found Henrik through Rob and Flatpig actually. Um, he plays the drum. He had been in a bunch of bands, and he played the drums. And then we found uh, Germ uh, Martin, who had played on the last Visceral Bleeding album. So he came into the solos and stuff. We record this whole album, like and pretty much mix it and everything. And then it just like I don't know what happened. It's not been released. The album covers there. The deal is signed, and mm -hmm. we just uh, I don't know. So we're we're struggling. It was like we should put this out. It's it, it, it that album is like that album is more than ten years old and it's ready and it's like a totally brutal thing. It's not Spawn or anything, but it's it's very very brutal. What's the, what's the so, name of the project? Begotten. Okay. Begotten. Yeah. You're saying there's like a hidden There's almost hidden... spawn a possession album just never came out that's insane i know no, it's not no, actually no. spawn a possession but no that, that that's problematic because yeah. whatever i ever do people are going to compare it to spawn which is okay kinda, yeah I, I i mean i get that but it's unfair because jonas is the real mind behind spawn he is the genius in spawn obsession so uh but jonas i've heard the album and he i to my surprise he was really like giving me a, a, a lot of props for it. It was like, man, it's awesome. Release, what the fuck? It's great, you know? It's, it's very brutal. It's just like a lot of blast beats and it's very lively recorded one take kind of thing to get a certain like old school Imperial Doom kind of vibe, hard hitting, fucking, lot of, it's, it's a brutal album and I'd love to record it and, and Rob's gonna mix it. It's just a matter of time to, sit down and do it but hopefully we, we actually sound with we signed with um willow tip i think they're called oh shit oh, wow. yeah 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 but it was signed like 10 years ago i don't even know if the deal is still on i don't know <laughs> we got an email <laughs> those guys. but yeah but so i i befriended henrik we became very close friends and uh we did begotten and that was that and somewhere in this mix uh, I get me, I get an email from uh, Jonas Bursley, and he basically goes, "Hey, dude, fucking a lot of shit went down. Uh, I'm I'm so beyond that now. I don't care. So I don't know how how you feel, but and it was like through like two lines in the email about that, and then it was just like this chunk about this album he had worked on. I was like, yeah, I'm working on the album. I loves this whole thing." So I, I was I was so super happy that he wrote me because I didn't like that. I mean, we known each other since we were teenagers. It's kind of shitty when mm -hmm. that happens. And he he was the bigger guy, so he was like, "Yeah, what's up?" So I, I said, "Yeah, send me some stuff. I want to hear it because I knew he 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 records and stuff." 
and he sent me a bunch of stuff and i was like <laughs> fucking hell we gotta do this man yeah like, yeah so that's basically how it happened and uh and then he had another drummer at the time and i said cool because he, jonas had gone with spawn to australia and played shows and had a, a completely different lineup because when i when when we split up nick and jonas carlson they left they were like done they're like oh we're done so they're out of the picture. So he got a bunch of other. Erlen, I think, uh, played bass, who played mm-hmm. on Incursal. He was on that tour, I think. And then there was another guy, um, Richard, who played, uh, he, at the time, I think he was in a band called Shining, like mm-hmm. Swedish black metal. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So they went to Australia, and they did a bunch of things. And then he said, I got the lineup complete. I just, I want you to do the vocals. And that was that. So... So that's when Chalky was doing those vocal demos for a while. Well, I uh, didn't hear that. What? Oh, Matthew Chalk, the ex psychroptic yeah. singer, was singing with Spawn of Possession during that era. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I don't I don't know what happened uh happened there. All I know was that Jonas wrote me and asked if I wanted to do the vocals. That was basically I, I felt I uh, I'm not touching whatever is going on. I would I wouldn't want to step on anybody's toes or anything like that, but as far as I know, they were they, that stuff was sorted out. It was Jonas was like, no, I, I want you to do the vocals. That's it. Um, whatever happened, uh, why he didn't go on and do the record, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I, I never got into that stuff. So um, yeah. So and I was like, cool. Let's let's do it. And and in Curso is as popular as the other two spawn of possession albums. I hang out with a lot of musicians who hold that in the same exact regard. And so it's cool that you were a part of that album too. And that one is a shredder for sure. And Christian Wesner on guitar, uh, is an incredible part of it. And it's definitely got a different sound. Uh, but it's still got that core spawn of possession vibe to it. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, like all the spawn session albums are written differently. So, like cabinet was a more like getting together and like you like the like most people do, and the second one was more uh, way more theoretical and it was more like on the computer and blah blah blah, and in Curso was Jonas with his guitar, that was in Curso like he wrote that fucking album from start to finish with some help from Erlen he told me and then uh he he sent me <laughs> this is kind of funny because we had the it's a good thing when you when we patched it up and we started talking again it was like no time had gone by you know what i mean it was like we we know each other so well so he's like started talking immediately and he said yeah i want your input on stuff and he sent me basically the whole incurso album it's like let me know about changes and stuff. I was like, "What the fuck? This is an hour of the most extreme shit I've ever heard, and you want <laughs> me to go away? Like, I, I can't do that." I, I had some suggestions for the the, the uh, for uh, the first song, the "Where Angels Go." Like, what if we do a little different opening or something? And then I was like, "You know what? It's perfect. Let's just leave it alone. It's great." Same. And um, um, so that was, and and then yeah, and then. Um, he, I think, when the whole album was going to be sort of be, be before right before studio, Richard had said to Jonas, like, I, I want to practice this. I want to, I want to play with you and like work on it. And Jonas had no 
I think he had two kids at the time and at least one. And he was like, I don't, I don't have, no, you have to, you have to work this out and then come to the studio and play it. And, uh, I don't, I don't know how far they got in those conversations, but uh, he asked me one, one time on the phone, like, do you know anyone? I was like, yeah, I know Henrik. He could definitely pull this off. And it's like, well, then ask him, like, if he can do it. So, and I think it was, it was harmonious when they, when he talked to the other drummer. I think that was okay. You know, he explained like, no, it's not going to work out. And so that was basically it. So Henrik got the, got the gig. And also, I don't know if you know this, but all the drums that I recorded for Spawn, I've never had a, like a guitar player with me. I've never had a, like a temp track with guitars. I've always recorded the drums silently. Wow. So I just had the click track in my headphones. I never, wow. I never use. No. Wow. It's, mm. it's, it's, I realized it's a stress factor. For me, it is. The only thing you could argue, like the way I see it is that like, well, I need it for the feeling. And I get that. I mean, I totally get that. You know what? I know these songs so well, because that's my job as a drummer. I got an, especially when you play this kind of stuff, you need to know every little fucking thing. You know, you got to know exactly where you are. So when um, both cabinet, I was alone in the studio with the producer and on Noctambulant, same thing. And on Incurso, I encouraged Henrik to do the same. So he did. So it was hmm. Henrik and myself and the producer. There there was no like temp tracks or anything. It was the meaty That's a rare thing, dude. I've never actually never heard, heard of either, this. Yeah. It's so cool. In death metal. No, but least. think about it. It's 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 also like when we did the demos, I remember everybody was sitting and yawning when I was doing the drums. Everybody's just bored. <laughs> it was just like, and I was like, you don't need to be here. You know what I mean? It's like, you can go do your thing. It's okay. I got this. Now, of course, if it depends on the dynamics of a band, obviously. I mean, if a guitar player has a lot of input on the drummer, the guitar player would want to be there to sort of, but, but, as much as I trust Jonas with the guitars, he always trusted me with the drums. He knew, like, Dennis will deliver the drums. I know it will be just the way. So are you hearing the guitars in your head while you're playing? Yeah. Or are you literally just going by feel? No, I have. I hear the riffs. I don't count. Yeah. I have all the songs. And the problem with that is that I hum. So some people mm. scream at me, stop fucking humming. It, it, your voice is going <laughs> on the track. <laughs> and there's wow. actually, my voice is actually on several songs. But wow. he sort of fucked that up. He took it out and it makes it. I'd sort, love to hear that, dude. Like an <laughs> isolated no, track, dude. Incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> because I mix, I mix melodies and vocals and I mix all the stuff that sort of sticks out. So it, mm -hmm. it would be like <laughs> like that. I would sit like that. I actually have it on tape somewhere, like every oh, See, that's amazing, dude. I mean, yeah, we would, yeah, we would giggle at it, but it's it's like still a fascinating thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, and I wanted to uh, eliminate all the uh, distractions. I just want to be there in my own space and sort of do my thing. I just felt more comfortable doing that. That's super cool, dude. And like I said, I've just never heard. I, I mean, it works. However, it works for you. That's yeah. the way you got to do it, you know? So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
I've never heard yeah. anybody else track like that as a drummer in, in death metal. I don't know, I even know outside of death metal, you know, but yeah, that's cool. I mean, but if you think about it, of course, I don't have the same reference, but in terms of the guitar, like on Incurso, Jonas, you know, he barricaded himself with a dude in, um, in one of the studios because they have several studios and they, they, they took that studio, locked the door, and there was just the two of them. I mean, I wasn't there. The producer wasn't there. It was just Jonas and this dude. And he would wreck and play and stop or whatever, you know. And uh, and and I I never thought about it. I was like, yeah, that's the way you should do it. And I wouldn't want to be there because it's such a you know it's it's uh, it's a it's a hard process. And I know for Incurso, man, Jonas. I mean, he recorded Jonas recorded. I'm pretty sure all the guitars on on Incur on uh, Noctambulant. Mm. And I know he recorded all the guitars on Incurso. That's a lot of guitars. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of harmonies to learn. And sometimes he wouldn't even know where he was in a song. He, he told me he, it was all a blur, and he was looking at the tabs and the note sheets. And oh man, where am I? What am I doing here? Like it's really hard, you know. He he, he would. I, I think he said they slept five hours and then they recorded nonstop. And they had like mm. a fifty-minute break for lunch, and then they just recorded to get it done in time. And talking trivia, um, when I did the Begotten Band, I needed an amp. So I called my buddy Rob again. And he, his friend had gotten the uh, Triaxis that we used on Cabinet. So I bought that. So I had that. So when we did Incurso, we used the original Triaxis that was on Cabinet. Do you still have that? No, I had to sell it. I was oh, I was gonna I was gonna buy it off you. <laughs> <laughs> it would just no, be a little still, memorabilia. Yeah, it still sounded killer, man. It it, it still it, it worked. But Incursor was Incursor, like the drums and all that stuff, that was brutal. That was a brutal ice. I was like Henry was in pain on that one. Because another thing we all of us, I think, and when I say all of us, because Erlen was in Norway and Chris was in uh, Germany. So those guys were, they were doing their thing and we trusted them like blindly. It was like, they're, they're going to nail it. There's like no, no discussion. So it was me and Jonas and Henrik over here. And uh, when, what, but what we didn't take in, under consideration was that we had an hour of music. And we had done two albums that were around 35, 40 minutes, 40-something minutes. Now, if you add 15, 20 minutes to a record, it sounds like nothing. Like, well, what are you talking about? It's nothing. It's nothing. But when you're in a studio and you're playing that type of shit and you add like 10 minutes to that, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. That's like you have to take every track into consideration. Like, man, we underestimated that that the album was so long we didn't really so we worked overtime like with the drums we would start at eight eight o'clock in the morning play to six take a three-hour break come back and play to like two or three in the morning and henry would be like all swollen his his ears were like cauliflower like wrestler's ears because oh, he had fuck. the cans on it was it was brutal Everybody was just in pain on that one. And of <laughs> yeah. course, I can't shut my big fat, 
fucking mouth. So I would constantly throw shit at Henrik, like, hey, what about doing this? What about doing that? You know, you know, throwing stuff. Well, what if you, you know, accentuate that splash? Blah, blah. And he was like, okay, okay. And the producer was like, okay, well, hold on. Okay, do it, do it, do it. It was like that. It was really, really intense, but it was kind of fun too. <laughs> Definitely. Did you guys uh, tour in Curso? <clears throat> we did that tour with Obscura. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, we did uh, Obscura, Exivius, and Gorod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was really uh, that was just a really nice uh, nice trip. Everything was set up beautifully. We got fed. we had a great tour manager, uh, this guy Martin, who uh, he was awesome. Every everything was just like set up beautifully. And we had every night we had a great attendance and a lot of people came out and and actually it was the first time that we saw the fruits of our labor in terms of like we hadn't met people on tour that was talking about because when we did incurs there was no people coming out we only did one tour but the haiti turtle so when we did this people would come up and and it was the first time when we played i remember we played in london and I was behind, I was standing there with Mike. I came out with the microphone and we started up, we started with Swarm of the Formless and I looked out on the crowd and I fucking see three dudes crying. I've never, yeah. I've never seen it. I was like, are, they, are you crying? It's like <laughs> tears ran and they were smiling and the tears came. And this was like the first song. I was like, really? <laughs> and it happens, especially we, we finished I think we finished with uh, Lash by Lash. And that's really when I saw, I don't know how many dudes I saw crying on that tour. And that's kind of like, okay, so maybe we, maybe the, the stuff we've written, maybe it, it connected with some people mm-hmm. because what you guys have told me here tonight is, is amazing. Like how, how, how much it meant and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. I'm super thankful that you tell me because we haven't really been, we, I mean, we're fanboys too. I, mean, I could never we never talked we never talked in the terms of oh let's make spawn a special thing or a, a, a band that people will take you know draw inspiration from never it was like we do our own thing and every time in the studio especially within curse it was like will even people even buy this will they get it this is just crazy and then of course like people do get it and it's a shock every time because why would they listen to us? You know that feeling? It's kind of weird. It never, it so never, cool. it never ate. I mean, it never got stale for us, dude. It was yeah. always constantly in rotation. Um, yeah, dude. And it was, I talk about it in terms of like upgrading software and shit like that. Like that was one of the bands for me. It's like that got my brain to really know how to focus on tech death in a like, wow. Cause you, yeah, dude, I mean, you have oh, to yeah. really sit with it. You can't just, I mean, you could, you could, you know, nonchalantly listen to spawn of possession too, but if you really want to like see, try and break it open, you got to be ready to fucking, you know, f- suss it out, get it all fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like you got to listen to every instrument all the way yeah. through <laughs> yep. focus on one instrument. And it's just sick riff after sick riff after sick riff. Mm-hmm. They just keep fucking going. That's, I can tell you that 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 is old school, and it also connects with uh, the fact that the third album that Incurso I think came out the way it did, because uh, 
like music in, in general, I think, and, and, and just like if you take popular music or whatever, you have that that hook, that great riff. And the rest is kind of, but I don't care about the rest, but it works because that one riff is great. And there's bands in metal that do that too. And that was something very early on that Jonas and I talked about was like, no, every riff is going to count. Like every riff is going to have like a fucking purpose. And when it comes to Incurso, it was the same mentality because we always said way back, the moment we feel we're not into pushing it anymore, we're not going to pretend it's spawn anymore. That's like, we're just going to bury the band. So when he wrote me like saying, oh, I worked on this third album, uh, it would be cool to go out on the trilogy and stuff like that. He, he sort of assured me that, listen, it's, it's going to hold, it's going to be this, it's, it's taking a new step or something, you know, not saying it like arrogantly like that, but, but just, I, I know where he was coming from. And when I heard it, I was like, yes, we never wanted to be the band and I'm not slamming anyone. I mean, all anybody, people should do whatever they want, but it's kind of common that if you think about it, like bands, and this actually I noticed kind of the same with movies is that it's usually like the first two, maybe three records that are like the, the, the groundbreaking, the kind of like, Whoa. And then here comes the, Oh, we're going back to the roots. We're doing this, we're doing that. And it's sort of like, well, where's the, you sort of lose the hunger in the music. You know what I mean? Uh, so, but we, we kind of knew we had a third one in us even before we, we, parted ways and then obviously Jonas took care of business with that because we he said like the moment we were like well maybe we should take it easy on the next one well then we're not we're not going to do a next one mm-hmm. it's just not we, we can't do it with yeah. a clean conscience and call it spawn obsession spawn obsession represents something and that total ferocity that hunger of pushing and and you know breaking uh, new when I say break new ground it's not breaking the ground for other people, breaking the grounds for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people would connect with that, you know, and obviously people have, which is the most awesome thing ever. I was going to say, I'm glad that you were behind the kit in Palo Alto. Cause I was probably crying. back Yeah. I could have no, been but a possibility. I, yeah, dude, I've cried at shows for sure. I have Yeah, like I've been so fucking like, of course, I mean, you, you, you listen to something, you, you really get into it and then you go up and you see, and they have a good sound and they're fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. Of course it gets totally emotional. Like, uh, so I get that. I just never, ever expected people to cry to our music. Cause we're just, we're just this little band from this little town, Calamar, who cares? Kind of that kind of attitude. But, uh, yeah. It's, I don't. I, I can't. I still can't think of another band that sounds like it. That's probably why it's very. It's a very original thing. So dudes can really connect with it as its own thing. Like, yeah. that's where I get my spawn of my spawn of possession vibe is only from spawn of possession. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too. Um, the, and and you might find this hard to believe, but with spawn obsession, and this is a thing that. I just sort of when we were doing this uh, podcast and stuff, I reflected on that me and Jonas, as far as I can remember, have never talked about the tech stuff in Spawn ever. What we have talked about is the arrangements and 
to make the song work and make it the song sort of special. Um, the text stuff has just come out of practice and come out of exploring new ways. And, and this is really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, I should work on this, blah, blah, blah. Those kind of elements. We've never, it's always been about writing great songs. And sometimes I'll get something sent my way and it's like, hey, Chit is Band, it's amazing. And they're like, beyond me, they're so fucking crazy technical, it's ridiculous. But there's no song there. There's no mm -hmm. substance to it. It's like, it's okay. It works for you guys, but I, I can't get into it. I don't know what it is. And, and you know, that's a subjective feeling, obviously. But um, that, and I'm, I'm glad we had that mindset from the very start of, of Cabinet. We, we knew, like, song comes first. It really does. And how we put things together and how we tweak it and and the beginning and the end connects, even if it's totally different riffs, there's something there that binds it and all that stuff. And maybe that's one of the keys to um, Spawn Obsession, like why it is what it is. I don't know. It's hard yeah, you, know. you weren't doing it to be technical. You were just putting together songs never. and that's how they came out. Yeah. Dude, never. And I've had this discussion, people are, oh, you're showing off. I mean, I heard it all, like totally. But in reality, it, it's no. And, and, and Jonas and Jonas, those guys, they were, I mean, you ha here you have two guys unemployed, living at their parents' house, fucking with their guitars like that all day long. Because they, and why do you do that? Because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's not because, hey, I'm going to go out and show fucking. No, it's because it's fun to play stuff like that. It's fun, especially in a band. It's like the most fucking. It's the greatest feeling when you when you play something really tech and you lock, lock it in and it's like you end and you look at each other and you start laughing. It's like, whoa, we <laughs> nailed it. This is amazing. You you you, you guys know what I mean. It's, oh, it's definitely. Yeah. yeah. We've it's mentioned it on the podcast. It's a different yeah. thing. It the mm -hmm. energy in the room becomes becomes like one, you yes. know? You yeah. it's mm -hmm. not, and everybody knows they caught the wave and we're all riding it together, yeah. dude. That's mm -hmm. the that's the fucking what you especially especially if you had a bunch of tries it's like oh man I'm not nailing that and blah 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 yeah. and then it's the same thing when I see I, I I go on online I watch like guys like you know Mike Stern band with fucking Dave Weckl and these cats and they're just yeah. going off like totally in the in the groove and I don't get half of what they're doing it's like so overly tech it's ridiculous like what what's going on what do they do but still I can totally appreciate the feeling that they're trying to achieve with that stuff not overshadowing the music because again the music is number one it has to be a certain way that's it just has to be the right stuff but once you figure out your own formula fucking go nuts with it that's mm -hmm. the fun of it man. yeah it, it really is and if you're not in that stuff and i think some people i've actually met a lot of people that they they only see spawn for the technical side and it's just like oh you guys are tech 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 and it's it, and it's okay man if that's what works for you cool but i i i, I it's, it's more um it's it's a, a bit more uh you know elevating when someone goes man that's that part is like gives me the goosebumps. It's just the way you play it, blah blah blah. Yeah. And another thing uh, uh, along that, which I realized pretty late, and and I think a lot of music musicians go through life and not realizing is something I, I talked with the producer a lot was that um, when I listen to like guitar players or drummers or bass players or whatever, 
uh, I've come to realize that, yeah, the playing, but man, if you have your own character, if you have your own sound going, I mean, when people say like, there's only one Dimebag Daryl, you know, that dude, there was only one, like one Vinnie Paul, there's only, there's only that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you can, you can almost say it's like, oh, that, that that's him. That's, that's Hetfield playing guitar. You kind of know it's him because he has that character, that thing, whether you like it or not. But I still fucking respect that. Like mm-hmm. Dave Lombardo gets on the drums. I fucking know it's Dave Lombardo. Whether I like him or not, I totally respect that that whole thing. And uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not applying that knowledge to Spawn of Possession. I'm just saying that 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 having character in music and the playing and the lyrics and the whole thing, that's really what counts in the, and uh, in, in the end, it yeah. really yeah. is. Well, you, know you guys I mean? are, dude, you guys are like that to us, like, like such big influences, like we were saying before. And, you know, it's like, like bands, like it was, it was so fun. Like how even meeting Joel, like back in the day, it was like at the Aptos club or whatever. And we were, mm-hmm. you know, we told the story where David's like, if you heard of, you know, like, hey, what's up, man? You in the metal? What's up? And then David's like, you've heard of Deprecated, and then you're like, I don't know. Then you're like, have you heard of Spawn of Possession? And none of us knew. We we're like, no, what's that? You know, check. And then, dude, you were like the ambassador of Spawn to us. <laughs> yeah. And I then after that, yeah, we we were addicted ever since. And also, I want to say, I think that, and I love all of your albums, but I think that like becoming a fan starting at Cabinet because it was the the, the time, you know. That album is just, it's got the heavy breakdowns. It's got such good rhythms. It's not just shredding, you know, it's so diverse and perfectly well-rounded, I think. So it's like, it's not just a one trick pony at all, you know? Um, And it's the, it's the way you guys do the tech stuff. Like it's so perfect, you know, it's like tasteful, you know? Yeah. 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 That was also, even though we never said that, used that word maybe back then, but it was, and I also think we got lucky, like, you know, the fucking Lennon and McCarthy's and Mick and Keith and all those. It was like when, when, like, Jonas would bring the riffs to practice and I was so into the arrangement stuff, thinking in, in terms of um, in drums and those kind of dynamics. And, and I, I, we've never had an argument ever about, like, where a riff should be. Seriously, like ever, we always, and I played in bands, we're constantly fighting, like constantly, like no, and there was a lot of prestige and it's like, well, my riff is more like blah, blah, blah. We never had that. It was always like, whoever's got to bring it to the table, we'll see where it works and we'll put it in. And it was almost like a singular mind that way that we, we always knew, we always thought the same with this stuff. And there was never any, any, any discussions ever. We totally, we were always open to each other's ideas, and when, when we, when we, when it worked, we both was like nodding, like, "Yep, that's it. It's like done." We totally knew, and that's sort of a, <laughs> you know, happy coincidence that things worked out. And I think that that sort of that maybe helped um, make Spawn become what it became. You know, I got a question, and it's kind of dorky because if it's, if it's your own music, but. Did you guys ever have that moment, like, I mean, I mean, you must have, like, when you, like, made Cabinet and you, like, heard it back and you're like, oh, yes, like, like, we killed it. I mean, I know it's kind of dorky, but. You mean, like, uh, when you first no. hear, like, a playback? Yeah, and no. you're just like, 
or, or were no. you like constantly critical or what did, did you ever get satisfied i'll, like, tell, you, I'll yeah. tell you where, where my moment was that we had recorded the entire thing and uh the guy said he was going to mix it and he said listen i'm going to need three days to pre-mix this don't bother me i'm going to set a bunch of levels i'm going to tweak i'm going to put in you know compressions blah 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 so he said i think it was three days at least two and he said so go away play xbox and that's what we did and uh i think jonah sat next to him through the whole thing i'm pretty sure but uh i went away i was so fried anyway and then uh they woke me up in the morning 10 o'clock it's like what's up like and, and i just remember nick saying hey you got to come down and listen to this it's like well what's up no 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 come on shut the fuck up get dressed come on get listen because we slept on a loft and i go down and i get like sit down and the, they had all heard it and i sat down in the in the center of the studio with the great big fucking super expensive you know speakers and all that stuff and they played he had he had started mixing a song uh, hidden in flesh that's my favorite and, on that album <laughs> yeah and he sort of and he cranked it in those fucking uh, what's it called generic or something like really high-end speakers and it's like dum, dum, ba, ba, da, dum, dum, da, da, da. and i just remember i got like the shills all over my body that was my moment i was like whoa and i was like I, and i s- tried not to pay attention to the drums just to listen to the overall thing and it was fucking heavy and i was like man we have a record here man this is this is cool and i think that and he used that song as sort of the uh, the, the blueprint for the rest of the songs i think that if you would ask the producer he would say that that song is the one that's best mixed because that was the one he spent most time on and i just remember shit this sounds this is beyond what we could have dreamed of really you know it's interesting. Like, I mean, we, awesome. we brought fucking we brought a whole bag of CDs to the studio because, like I said, he was into metal and some thrash, a death metal band here there, but nothing big. So he was like, "Bring down CDs." Mm-hmm. And we brought all kinds of stuff, like every more sound, fucking you know the New York bands, Canada, you know the LA scene, like all we could find. Bring all that stuff down, and. And he would listen to it and go, mm, okay, interesting. Well, that snare, that, 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 that. And then he made something that didn't sound like any of it. It was kind of funny. You know, it didn't, it yeah. didn't sound like the, your typical Morris Sound or Abyss in Sweden where half the Swedish bands recorded. It was like, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. But it, 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 like you say, it worked. It was, it was really, uh, that was a pretty cool moment, you know. Yeah, I went to the like I said, the extreme of how unique that album sounded. I went, I was emailing the Rob of Flapik. I was like, yeah. "What the fuck? How did you get these sounds? I've never heard anything like this." And yeah, and it was, it's it stands out like you know, like an epitaph does too. Like that's got its own sound, or like you know, mm. it's definitely got this like, it's you know, it's not like super highly overproduced crazy stuff. It's like this real raw. The sound that's filling and it, it doesn't and it's not like all these fancy bells and whistles and stuff it's just raw in your face and you can hear everything and just has this like weird kind of aggression that i can't even explain it's to this day there's not really an album i can really put next to it to really compare you know 
Yeah, and, and, and that's that's a that's an excellent point you bring up because that was another thing that Joan especially pushed on that he didn't want it to be too clean or too prestige. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to have some sort of old school feel. You can totally hear it on in Curso. We talked about it. He was like, I want the sound to be dirty, but not, you know, it should be, you should be able to hear everything. But he was like, don't cut the guitars in every break and they should ring out a little more natural and stuff like that. Just the details. And I, like you said, like you'd add, so we had, we had several room mics on all the drum sessions that he would put into the mix. So you get sort of a slam going. It sounds more live and more natural and not, not so overly pr- produced, you know? So yeah, you, you make a very good point. That and was still to this day, I'm, I love hearing the human aspects of all albums that I listen to. And it's like human, but it's fucking like perfect sounding to me, dude. It's like, oh, cool. it really is. It's like right in the pocket, dude. Of yeah. Everything that I'm looking for is that record dude yeah okay go fuck (laughs) (laughs) sorry i I know we give it i mean dude we got dennis from spawn and possession on that episode dude we gotta fucking spill it all out we're just getting started dude (laughs) we haven't started crying yet we're gonna start crying on the podcast (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. no i'm 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 hope i hope i'm i hope you get uh i hope you get jonas on uh you know, I am friends with him on Facebook, but I've never actually interacted with him. I had the no. idea to ask him or anything, but he probably, I don't know if he... I, for no, some reason, Jonas... thought that he like didn't speak English very well or something. I thought he was mo- mainly Swedish or something is what I kind of got. I didn't know uh, if that's true or not, but well, maybe all of his posts are just full <laughs> Swedish stuff. I'm just like, okay, well, I don't know if he uh, really speaks English that well. I didn't know. I think he can he can carry himself, but he he uh, he always left this stuff to me. He he's not. He, I mean, he's not a shy person, but he's uh, he he's not into. Uh, uh, well, the way you've spoken about him during this episode makes me want to talk to him for sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can but set maybe, up. A... I'm gonna. I'm, I'm. I'm seriously. I'm gonna talk to him, and maybe. Uh, maybe we could do it together, like him and me. Yeah, and that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, we've done part today. twos already, so and we've got some that you know, want to be part twos as well. So it's like, yeah, you guys, we've said it, we have, we kind of have an open door policy for every guest that's been on. Oh, dude, cool. You can come back on whenever you want, dude. We love yeah. talking to everybody. You know? I love to come back, man. It's yeah. This, is, hell yeah. It. this is so cool because I thought about it. Like, I mean, like beyond, beyond music, I'm, I'm into so much other things in my life. Like I'm, I'm interested in all kinds of shit. So mm-hmm. I think to myself like, oh, are we gonna like approach that stuff? But you know what? There's so much to talk about Spawn. Like I'm, I'm, I'm now, now I haven't talked about Spawn in so, in so long. And that's what sort of, we've yeah, noticed as well with these episodes is that we're starting to get more people say that about our guests. Like I've never had heard this person talk for this long and talk about these things before. So it's like, and we're getting it ourselves as well. So it's like this, that's why this thing may be growing, you know, the way that it is. Cause we're getting, we're getting to dig on the stuff that we wish we heard or read back in the day that we never got. And now we get it firsthand right here in a conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten into any tour stories or anything. I mean, I know that's what I'm saying. dude. These part twos are definitely a good idea, dude. Dude, we played tons of festivals, uh, especially one summer. We we played 
I don't know how many we played every weekend. We flew we we flew over all over Europe and played Italy and Germany and all these crazy places. And and of course we we toured with Cannibal, and it was funny too. Like Cannibal put out this um, this uh, document, this definitive definitive documentary about the band. I don't know what it's called, but it's it's like it's a that box set thing. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, what you're yeah. talking and about. Actually, yeah, and they actually mentioned an incident. Uh, that we were part of when we went to uh, we went to Belarus. I don't know if you're familiar with that country, but yeah. it's it's a dictatorship, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they they wouldn't let us in. And and cannibals like determined to. We have fans there. We got to play. And fucking um, uh, they so they had to to bribe the the security at, at the at the uh, border. And then we got in, and it was like. Once we got in, we had like the Ukrainian promoter with us in the bus. So they had flown over so they could go with us because this was kind of touchy. And they get a call from the promoter in Belarus. And he goes like, dude, do not come to the club. We're fucked. Get the fuck out. That was it. And they were crying. It was like a big deal. And I didn't get, I was kind of drunk as usual. So I was like, well, what's going on? What's up? And, and they were like, well, the the government figured out that it's like cannibal and spawn obsession coming here. It was only the two of us, and you're not allowed to play in Belarus because the promoter lied, told some cockamamie fucking bullshit story about us. So do not go because at the club it's like three thousand kids banging on the door waiting for you because we got held up at the border, and they're sending out like military police to disperse them and fucking with water cannons and batons and all that shit get out so we had to to get out and once we were going to get out they wouldn't let us out and then we finally get out and the fucking i think it was in uh ukraine they said no you can't come in i was like what why and they were like no you have a trailer full of gear you're we think you're going to sell that shit in this country and I don't know if you know anything about Europe, the European countries and the Eastern Europe and stuff, but trust me, you don't go to there to sell a guitar. You mm-hmm. pay like fucking, you know, $2,000 for. So it was like, what? So we actually got like a, you remember in like old James Bond films, they had the KGB drove those police cars. We got one of those with two dudes in two Russian. They looked like fucking KGB. They would escort us out of Ukraine. And we drove over the fucking Carpathians. And I was like, oh, Carpathians, that's that's Dracula. That's fucking werewolves and blah, blah. That's going to be awesome. There are no fucking roads, like no roads. So the bus broke down, the fucking, all the, the windows broke, the, the transaxle broke, the, we, flat tires, everything. It was, Damn. trust me, it was it was brutal. It was, And we hadn't showered, we hadn't eaten, we hadn't gone to, to shit. So at one point, they stopped the bus. And Cannibal and Spawn just ran into the woods and took a shit. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm telling you, dude, it was brutal. Uh. Yeah, so, we complain of. about you know the fucking shit that we went through on there for on um, bloodletting, dude. That's yeah. nothing, dude. None of that. <laughs> no, sleeping under trees was fine, dude. They had to fucking go <laughs> go through all that shit that he just said, dude. I know, I'd be I know. done, dude. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, just pretty much. I mean, nothing close to that. I mean, even with decrepit and stuff, it would just be like maybe a breakdown or something, miss a show or yeah, but. 
on on uh, I don't know if you know about that the, the bloodletting tour the incident in um, I think it was Houston the, uh, uh, the, the bus fire no, no that wasn't that was for cannibal sorry yeah 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 no we get we get to Houston you, you guys would hear this you yeah know? sure I'm just, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah definitely definitely uh, I just feel like I'm rambling on you have no, no go it's for all it. good dude this is what we want so we get to Houston, right? I think it's Houston. Okay, so and we we park in this sort of um, industrial area, and the other side of the road is a trailer park, and it's all these you know white trash sort of cowboy has barbecue on the street, you know the whole thing like beautiful. I've never seen this in in reality, and they invite us to barbecue and all that stuff. It's great. So we're playing this little this little shed. It's like a like a little shed and it's sort of a festival so we're playing and uh we we do our set and we go to merch and, and uh mike hamilton from deeds was a tour manager on that tour mm-hmm. fucking mike is awesome right yeah so yeah, yeah. We're having a beer and just having fun and these two dudes comes in and they're so out of place one of them has like a uh a, a, a pink one piece all the way up with a lot of bling and gold and big shades. He's and he's like carrying himself with this sort of like dude and his buddies sort of same thing. And they just and the crowd just splits open and they go through. And I'm like start pointing and like look at those clowns. What the fuck? <laughs> those no 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 those dudes are fucking those that's gang man. Those are gang people. Like come Shit. on, they look silly. What are you talking about? Well. <laughs> Mike was, of course, he was right. So they beat up the sound guy out of the blue. They jump the guy and they fucking smash him. I, we don't see it because it's in the other room. But all of a sudden, all this commotion starts, and we're like, "What's going on?" Well, this and that, and and, and uh, so they beat this guy like he he passes out. It's it's brutal, mm. and uh, and they they uh, they split. And next thing you know, I mean me coming from sweden like four or five cop cars comes in with these texas cops with the flashlights and the hand on the guns like and i'm like living in an episode of cops this is amazing <laughs> like what's going on well come on dude and it's like yeah and mike is like no 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 don't get involved like fuck it. and so they're like walking around there and like hey what the fuck and it yeah very it was very much like mike said these guys are like part of a, some crew Okay, so the cops are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, it's cool now. So they leave. And, uh, oh, it's a funny funny detail is when, when the cops arrive, I'm like, uh, I'm going to go into the tour bus. And there's the Gorgasm guys smoking weed like, yeah, what's up, dude? It's like, <laughs> well, we have cops around. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, I'll give them a joint. It's okay. It's fuck that, you know. <laughs> Those dudes were so relaxed. They didn't care. I was like, oh, man. So anyway, the cops leave. And then uh, we're standing there, and the promoter comes up to Mike and whispers something. And Mike goes, uh, get your boys. We're getting the fuck out. So it turns out that these dudes were part of a, a, a local gang, and the word was out that they were going to shoot up the club. Whoa. Yeah. So, And Mike was really serious about it. And Mike is the big jokester, but he was like, I'm not joking, dude. I was laughing. He was like, no, this is not funny. we got to go. So I think uh, Gorgasm had to cut their set. It was like, no, no, not Gorgasm. Um, Paimia had to cut their set. It was like, no, 
let's go, let's go. So we, so they basically cleaned the whole place and we, we had to leave. I don't know if they, if they ever came by and shut up the club or anything, but it was, they, they, the, the rumor was that they were going to basically Jesus. start shit because at, when they beat up the sound guy, some other people had jumped them. So it was like payback time or something. Mm. That was yeah, intense. Which is ridiculous because they came in and started the shit, you know? Yeah. Fucking people. Jesus. Yeah. That's what a story. Man. Yeah, yeah. We've, I know Whitechapel one time, there's like the, we played a show with Suffocation in Whitechapel and the, the, the like hardcore, metalcore, deathcore music has like crews of people, like gangs, but they're like, they're fans of the music. They're like in the scene of that the music and stuff like that but they're like still crews or gangs we're gonna call them and yeah we got the the word that they were gonna shoot Whitechapel on stage or something like that and uh we were just like what the and they were like all on their phones all freaked out in the backstage and i'm like i thought it wasn't gonna happen but they uh the show but it ended up just beefing up security and and checking everyone like double checking everyone and just uh yeah having that fear i was like freaked out too it was like long island like i was you know honestly thinking like something's going to go down here it's, you know it's an aggressive like the east coast is is and actually it's funny that you bring up the cowboy thing too because i remember when we we our first tour we had erland that played on incurso we had him in vile um he was playing in vile and he wanted his number one thing was to like take pictures like he's all oh i need to go you need to stop oh, yeah and like he wanted us to like take a picture of him in front of a trailer park yeah, in front yeah. of a Walmart, <laughs> in front of like all the like the white trash American things. He wanted that. like pictures in front of all like the the most white trash thing he, he could find. He wanted the picture, you know. <laughs> yep. The, the reason I think is because here in Europe we're sold. We've been sold like like as I, I grew up through the eighties, and and my my the, the the I was sold like America was this beautiful everything is like beautiful shiny skyscrapers and palm trees and i mean it's just so beautiful los angeles is so beautiful really i mean that's that's the way we we that's how it's fed to us and then when i got over there and i remember we played a show in san diego and we hung out with the disgorge guys and diego and those cats like Mm -hmm. so cool and i just remember thinking the the movie that really depicted Los Angeles, the way I see it now was Pulp Fiction. Mm. The way Quentin Tarantino shot the streets, I mean, there's not very many, but the way he did diner, that stuff, it was, for me, it was spot on. Like, okay, now I get it. This is how it looks. It wasn't like, like you know, LA law that I grew up with. Everything was just like very crisp and nice and everything. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know. So I understand in a way where airline is coming from, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People today are living the, or, or, or rather, they want to live the American dream and all that stuff, for sure. You know. Definitely. Yeah, it's a little, um, different, a little different than uh, what's depicted for sure. I think at this point, like the Swedish dream is sounding pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I think now we want to go over there now. I'm kind of curious. Oh, a random question. So, like. Like, you know, people who live in countries that are near each other, you like kind of know the languages of the other countries a bit and stuff like that. Like Erlen's from Norway, right? Does he speak any Swedish? Do you guys speak any Norwegian? Do you guys just talk in English? Just curious. No, uh, no. But uh, it, it turned out when we did Incurso tour and me and Erlen spoke, we spoke in English. Mm-hmm. But he also said like, because I come from the uh, East Coast mm-hmm. and he and he lives in Norway, which is closer to the West Coast. 
So he said, when I meet people from the West Coast, um, we can talk, we can have a full conversation, but I couldn't really have conversation with me. And it's a dialect thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why some of the bands you remember in the early night with the black metal scene when that was happening, there was bands like uh, Dissection and those guys. Yeah, they way up the west, uh, the west coast, so they could, you know, I guess I don't know, but something tells me that they could sort of uh, communicate in a different way than than I would. I, I make it easy for myself. I have a lot of relative. My dad is from Denmark, mm-hmm. but like most parts of Denmark I don't I don't understand what they're talking about but some people like my cousin he makes himself it's another thing also like making yourself understood you know what I mean he, he talks slowly and sort of mm-hmm. very t- try to be articulate and then I sort of understand what he says but but uh, in Scandinavia I, I guess with a gun to my head I could totally understand but most of the time it's it's pretty hard it's like a really brutal brutally different dialect but it's 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 a response from the same whatever it's the same language and and the sort of viking whatever where it came from so yeah but that's interesting i mean you guys in in america it's it's english all the way right yeah i was gonna say like you speak english so well right now and english is the only fucking language that i know Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's like when all these multilingual people make me feel like a piece of shit for not paying attention to Spanish in <laughs> no, high school, but, dude. No, but you, you have to understand, like, most, I think most Swedes speak English pretty well. Yeah. Recent, of course, and Europeans in general, mm-hmm. except for the French and the, uh, the Germans, because they, no, but I, I'm, I'm not slamming them, but they have, uh, they, they get dubbed television. Mm-hmm. We don't, mm-hmm. we have the subtitles. I grew oh, I see. up with all the fucking TV shows and all huh. the Al Bundy and the fucking, you name nice. it, all that stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, not, yeah not to mention the movies. You know, yeah, yeah. Movies. Yeah, I love movies. You know, I, I watch it all the time. And 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 I heard, and it was, I got to tell you, speaking of that, this is really just beside the point, but it's really interesting. I heard this really, uh, uh, industrial sort of uh he's a he's a console no not a console he's a what the fuck do you call that when you hire someone to you know elevate your company someone who's consultant consultant Consultant, thank you yeah and he's been around and he's worked for some of the biggest major countries in the world and he's written a book on you know a hundred rules to become successful whatever and one of the things he says, <laughs> well, he says, never, ever, ever have an argument over text message or email, ever. That's one of these rules, always in person, over the phone or in person. Mm-hmm. But but that's not the one. The one I reacted to was, he said to Swedish people, he said, do not speak English, speak American. Because when we, we when I go to school, when I went to school, it was English, like Oxford, sort of, you know, the British sort of BBC sort of thing. Yeah. But he said, that's not our influence. Our influence is in American culture, television, video games, movies, shit like that. And and he said, you're only sort of, uh, you, you, if, if you speak American, that's as close to the truth in what you're saying as you can, can come. And I feel way more comfortable speaking the way, and obviously I speak the way I do because you speak the way you do. It helps me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, I never speak English in that sense. 
speaking yeah. of trenchy, that, that this is sort of, you know, <laughs> totally. even, in Amer- even in America, we have our own dialects. Like you're talking about like the, what's up y'all, like, you know, all the Southern dialects and then you yeah, have yeah, the yeah. East coast, you know, going like, hey, I yeah. don't know, you know, all that stuff. Then you have like oh, yeah. us over on the, the kind of surfer West coast. We kind of have a, what's up dude. What's like, up, you know, like, you know, kind of yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my favorite in a way because it's so like, uh, like the one you guys have is, is it's just so laid back and it just sounds so so uh i remember that like uh, going on tour where we were like you know paying attention to the dialects and everything and as soon as i got to to new york and philadelphia and those guys I, it was like good fellas in my head all the time yeah <laughs> yeah you know, Tony, what, what, you know the whole thing they have you know? yeah. yeah yeah well i remember too even like like being like younger and like uh, growing up and being influenced by like say deeds of flesh or like california death metal bands that are growling and all intense and i'm listening to bands all around the world and this and that but I remember like the first time i talked to eric on the phone she's like what's up dude how's it going man and yeah. just like what you're that guy like you know it's like this reminds me of uh who's the the guy uh, singer uh, john from uh dying fetus like he just yeah. looks so aggressive on stage he's yeah. all hey man what's going on dude <laughs> you know after I, i'm like gee that's you oh they're yeah, gonna be all like intense. You one the first tour we did with Cannibal was on uh it was a festival called uh, No Mercy Fest was in uh oh four. And uh I just remember uh getting a sneak peek into their bus. And I mean we're talking this is cannibal course. This is fucked with a knife. This is you know addicted to vaginal skin. This is like <laughs> hammer smash I mean, come on, I come blood. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? And I'm looking in, and there's like Alex and the guys like with, with reading glasses on, reading books. And the fucking boss like, "Hey man, what's up?" <laughs> you know, it didn't make any sense to me at the time. It's like, "Hey, cool. what?" You know, the coolest guys ever. I just want for the record, like totally, dude. Oh yeah, yeah fuck, they, I've gotten the, older, the privilege to hang a, out with those guys a few times, and they're all cool dudes. They're just, you know, they're yeah, normal people, just thing. like all of us, dude. Yeah. And that's another thing regarding Spawn is that we we owe them a lot because they brought us on tour and they, they just took us in and, and was like, well, let's give these guys a break. Alex Webster sort of acknowledged us. And and, mm-hmm. and it was so, so bizarre when I spoke to Alex the first couple of times and he was talking to me like a fan. That was the most bizarre thing ever. Yeah. I, mean, I remember I was like 15, having like a butcher to birth hat. No, no, I was probably 17 or something, you know, and I had that fucking hat on. And and he was just a he was just the coolest guy on the planet. Just super nice. And yeah, he's definitely a big fan of the the unique leader, like old roster, dude. Yeah. When you see him in oh, yeah. documentaries, he's wearing a severed savior shirt. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he just knows what's up with the, the Cali shit. Oh, yeah. Dude. And yeah, obviously yeah. Swedish shit. Yeah, he's always on the lookout for new great bands, you know. Whereas, you know, and and that's another thing. Like when when we toured, it was funny because, and this happens to I think most bands, especially if you're like on a headline bill or something. You like we got home with a box full of CDs and tapes and not tapes, maybe but CDs, all kinds of demos and stuff, you know, and super fun to go, plow through that and see what's up. And yeah. obviously someone like Alex Webbs, he takes that to a new level. He's like, well, these guys are great. I'm going to write them an email and see what's up, you know, yeah. and I give him all the props. That's okay. just the way to do it. 
I think most bands don't care. It's like you, you take that step up and it's like, oh, fuck the underground. You mm-hmm. know, I'm making money. Yeah, it's, like, it's basically like him and uh, Trevor from Black Dahlia. They they both like are way into music and they want to bring out bands that they like and get them exposure. Like they ha- take that extra step to to bring out stuff yeah. that they're interested in. And, you know, or, or Dan Kenny, it sounds like from Suicide. Silence. Yeah, yeah. There's a, people out there that are, you know, in, in some of these bigger bands. There's a few of them that are just hungry to, you know, expose what they're listening to to everyone. You know. Yeah, and and, and also it's cool too that that they're not threatened by that whole thing because I remember I think it was the first tour we did with Cannibal. I didn't know the code between bands, but it was they had um, a couple of girls that was running the merchandise. And, and uh, they helped us set up the merch. It was like, yeah, we can do the merch like 10% and we'll take care of it. And they put this really high price on our shirts. And I, I kind of reacted. I was like, why would you do that? And she was like, well, you can't have a lower price than the headliner because, you know, people want to get a shirt, whatever it is and stuff. And I, I get that. I totally respected that. Well, three shows in, it was like, well, Alex and the guy said, you can lower it. It's okay because you guys need to sell more shirts. Like just a gesture like that. They had no, they had no reason to do that, but they were just way cool about it. It's like I didn't even know about those politics before we started touring, but that was just a nice thing, you know. It's like mm-hmm. awesome, definitely. Yeah. You know, that definitely helps, dude. Yeah. Oh, and, speaking of, of, of sure, I can give you another, another tour trivia, like a, a real. <laughs> like slightly scary and then after that we're gonna have to cut it because i i'm sorry i forgot to mention i got a hard out in like 10 minutes guys oh shit. sounds good yeah have, yeah how long Just have we been going almost three hours i think oh shit. we'll <laughs> save that one That's no okay. i want to hear it i want to hear it i'm sorry yeah, we still got a few okay. we still got a few more minutes and then we'll wrap it okay. <laughs> please so we're, we're i wish i could all. be here all night dude or yeah. all day for me all night for you no, we're playing. Uh, we're playing Milan with um, Cannibal Corpse on oh, the big pack, tour pack. It was us. Let me think. It was us. Uh, uh, Cannibal, Hypocrisy, Cataclysm, Carpathian Forest, Exhumed, and Vomitory. It was pretty solid. And so we're playing Milan, and I get out of the bus, and I'm hungover like crazy, and walking towards the club. And the first thing I see is these, uh, you know, uh, sort of tents where they're selling ganib ganobs and shirts and shit like that. And I see Spawn Obsession shirts. And I'm like, wait a minute, where, what are these shirts? And they're misspelled. And the logo's all messed up. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm starting to get like, uh, wait a minute, come on, this is not cool. Blah, blah. And then one of the merch uh, girls comes up to me and goes, no, 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 no. Fuck that. Leave that alone. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. Shut up. The whole fucking place was run by the mob. Mm. It's like, yeah, it was like that thing going on. I had no idea. Another tour thing you learn when you go to Italy or Sicily or something like that. It's it's for real. <laughs> it's just like, no, don't. Don't fuck around with this. So um, we play Crazy. the show and everything. And we're we're backstage, and it's like all these bands have bands all over the place, people all over the place, sitting there drinking beer. And all of a sudden, these two big fucking biker dudes. I'm not going to say what club they were, but there was a very famous club. Mm-hmm. And they come in, and it goes straight up to tour manager, and he just takes out a big fat fucking letter with full of money. He goes like, "Here you go," and there's thank you, and then they leave it's percentage of the show and it was like ooh, and you don't want to mess around there you don't want to start 
you know, you don't want to pick a fight with anybody in a place like that. You know? mm-hmm. oh, well, scary shit like that. But if, <laughs> I mean, as long as you follow the rules, it's all good. You know? Yeah. Crazy, man. Yeah. You guys have seen it and lived it. Jeez. This makes me feel like after all the tours I've done, I don't know, have anything cool like that to add really. That's, yeah. uh, Except for maybe man. almost freezing to death in the back of a truck. Yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. that too. No <laughs> mobster stories. <laughs> part of death metal is that it has that attitude and and touch touches with that side of life that you know. I don't know how many kids grow up now ever going to have that experience, but no. it's it's there. Totally. You, listen, you might miss that part if all you do is listen on your computer and and are a, yeah. a fan from home. So that's cool mm-hmm. to hear those kinds of stories for sure. Well, that's oh, the yeah. real brutal part of the music is exactly. trying to tour it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. more brutal exactly. than the songs or the content. Or anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but well, I think when you have a, 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 a like all you guys, it's clear. I mean, if you have a distance to it, you can sort of laugh about. It. Maybe it's not in the moment so funny, but then you sort of go like ah. We, yeah. we survived you know yeah. you kind of can laugh about it and talk mm-hmm. about it you know if you have that sort of distance you know you you can go to war it's okay you know yeah. it's, it couldn't be worse and i, I i'll tell you man we, i we never went to south america and we were actually there were a few times where we got offers and stuff but they told us like on the cannibal tours like when we toured eastern europe that was brutal like the roads were really bad and it was just like bribes left and right and it's crazy but they and i was like it doesn't get worse than this and they were like no 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 you haven't been to south america yet go down <laughs> colombia bolivia and those countries but of course you go there because the fans are fucking crazy i mean they love it down there you'll, yeah. you'll pull three thousand kids or ten thousand a night it's crazy you know so that's still a dream that I hope maybe someday we can go down. Do you guys ever get offers for Indonesia? Yeah, many times. Yeah, never, yeah. I don't we should do a to violently vomit spawn a possession Indonesian tour, man. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got one for next year, hopefully. But uh, yeah, man. Uh, should we should we wrap this up, guys? It's yeah, so guys. fucking nice to talk I wish to you, we Dennis. Could keep going, yeah, dude. we'll we'll yeah. hang out a little bit after after Anthony leaves, but after, yeah. we'll stop the recording right now. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks again, well, thank Dennis. You so this, much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. That's this is amazing. Awesome, dude. dude. I'm glad you thank had a good you, time because we had a blast as well, dude. Yeah. This is, you know, right in the pocket, right where we want these kinds of episodes to be, dude. We get some good information that you know. We, we got to dig. We got to have some fun. It's all good, dude. And you're, like I said, you're welcome back again anytime. Get Jonas on here. That's a big bonus, you know? I'm going to see Get what a six-panel thing going. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, Let's dude. And uh, there's Spawn of Possession merchandise out there somewhere, right? Oh, <laughs> Band yeah. Camps sure. and all that shit. I'm sure. Yeah. Go, go uh, support it. But yeah, I got nothing to plug. <laughs> cool, dude. Well, <laughs> awesome. Um, so episode 37 in the bag, uh, calidef.com. Hit us up on Instagram and Facebook and all that good shit. Thanks again to the subscribers. Thumbs up, notifications. If you're a Apple podcast person, give us a five-star rating, review, all that kind of shit. But yeah, we'll be here again next week for uh, episode 38. You guys have a great week. Rock on. You.